in the Marine Corps, they say every person's a rifleman. That's not true. Like, it's just... It's, you do basic training as a rifleman, but that's about it. Yeah, but no one ever came to me and was like, Zach, do you want to work on this helicopter? No. <laughs> like, because I don't know how <laughs> no, to work on I this... Kel- hel- oh, but everyone's not a helicopter mechanic. Everyone's not, like, an aviation specialist. Right. Everyone's not a pilot. Right. Weird. This episode is sponsored by Remedical. Every veteran deserves respect, competency, and clarity when pursuing a disability claim. Of course, we all know the frustration is much more common. If you're looking for a better path and documentation that strengthens your disability rating request, start with our sponsor, Remedical. Re's team of professionals work with a network of experienced physicians, and they've already provided meaningful medical evidence for more than 25,000 veterans. And while they can't guarantee what the VA will decide, 95%, let me say that again, 95% of their clients reported receiving a disability rating of 70% or higher. That's because when you connect with Remedical, they take the time to explain your options before you pay for anything. Free consultations. So don't give up on a stall process or settle for an unfavorable decision from the VA. Cut through the frustration with accurate medical evidence and a streamlined approach that allows you to pursue your claim confidently. Head over to remedical.com. That's Romeo Echo Echo Medical.com to book your free consultation. Check out our link in the podcast section for more details. Welcome, welcome, welcome to another episode of the After Action Podcast. I'm joined today by my one and only favorite Canadian, Kelsey Sharon. Hazak. How are you? I'm fantastic. How are you? I'm great. I'm great. Um, we were just talking about this amazing studio here, mm-hmm. um, which is owned by the guys that explore Nashville. So what they do is um, um, Stuart and Aaron, they have this brand. They'll be like five things to do in Nashville. And it'll okay. be like, this is the best hot chicken. This is whatever. So this is like where they do that stuff. And like across the way, they have like um, like a hospitality tours. They'll pick you up and you see the whole thing. It's Dudes are taking over. So when you say hot chicken, are you talking about spicy or like just like the temperature? I'm so sorry, I forgot you don't know. Um, <laughs> let me let me school you up, sis. Yeah, um, let's so try this Nashville, again. Nashville's music. What do you think of when you think of Nashville? Uh, country music, cowboy hats, and food. Okay, what type of country music? Okay, so I, let's back up. I grew up on country music. Tell me what you consider to be country music. Oh, man, like Travis Tritt. Like, Hell yeah. like old school shit. Do you remember the three music videos he did? Do you remember them? The really a, sad ones? As a Vietnam veteran? Yeah. Yeah, my dad showed them to me. <laughs> Dude, they messed me up. Oh, really? I've been talking about this for a while. Oh, but okay. like he was the first, nobody really gives, he doesn't get his flowers. No, he doesn't. He doesn't get his flowers of what, um, because people didn't really understand what he was doing, but like he was like, tell me I was. Yes. And yes, like he's in a wheelchair. So in the wheelchair. And he like puts his hand on her grave. She dies. She yeah. like falls, hits. Yeah. This is on regular TV. Yeah. He hits his head on a boat propeller. Uh, his wife falls and he's like in a wheelchair from Vietnam. He's crazy from Vietnam. That was like one of them. The second one is um, they're like out on um, Old Hickory Lake, not okay. far from here. And like she dies, hits a boat propeller and then he's like at her grave and then like he goes into an abyss and mm-hmm. then comes out. But no one ever did that before, especially in country music. No, I listened to like him, Reba McIntyre, like just like old school Reba and like all that stuff. And I can just remember being in the transport with my dad, like going down the freeway and him, I'd be in the back bunk just sleeping and he would just have that so yeah. cranked. It was that or it was, who's the radio host that is on, was it Cyrus or Sirius Radio? That it's like the only show that's on there that holds it together. The highway? This No, no. Who's the um Stormy Warren still does it. Does it okay, no, no, no. I'm thinking of the curly headed guy. Help me here. 
Stern. Uh, Howard, Howard Stern. Howard Stern. Howard Stern. Your dad was letting you listen Bro, to Howard Stern? I didn't think I'd be sleeping in the, in the back, and I would just be like, what am I listening to? Everything is so clear to me now. I know. It makes sense, doesn't it? No. Um, but yeah, that's that was like great country music. Yeah. Country music now, I would classify- it's like pop. That's that's the majority of country music, like um, stuff that's become more country. Jelly Roll's really big. Jelly Everyone, Roll's great. Everyone knows about him, but like- um, like I remember when he made it like a, a song about Waffle House a few years ago and Waffle House was like, please stop making please songs. Please stop talking about us. Now they, now they couldn't afford him, which is funny. I was just going to say, I used to, um, I found out about Jelly Roll through a girlfriend of mine who's, fr she's in Nashville. Her name's Megan Patrick mm -hmm. and Megan's an amazing country singer. And then a buddy of mine, Dallas Alexander is a country singer and he comes out here and does a bunch of stuff as well. Yeah. So that's my like whole Country music. Well, now it's like a mix of like new hip hop kind of rock country, but like what I listen to time pretty much the most, what I consider like really good country music is like Coulter Wall's really good. I like Zach Bryan. Zach Bryan slaps. His new one with, is it Casey Musgraves? Yeah, I remember everything. Yeah, <gasps> Casey Musgraves. I got that on repeat right now. I don't listen to a lot of country. That's real country music. Do I you, know. Do you know he's a Navy veteran? I did not know that. Do you want to know the story of Zach Bryan? Kind of. Finally, now. we'll give him some attention. Okay, I'm sorry. All right, so he was. Um, he comes from the Navy in America in particular. They they really kind of have like hot spots where like people come out of, and like one of them is Oklahoma. And so the that's, Navy. Yeah, well, because they go to places where there aren't a lot of opportunity. Okay, like, got it. Um, yeah, so there's sense. like a Navy base like where I grew up in Millington. Um, okay. So he's like in the Navy, his dad's in the Navy, his mom's in the Navy, a real truncated version. Go watch Joe Rogan. He tells a better version of it. Um, but he like joins the Navy and his contract was like kind of wonky. And the Navy does this all the time. They just kind of put you at needs of the Navy. So he went from being like a Navy diver, which is a pretty cool gig, yeah. to um, being moved to a master at arms, what they call their MPs. And so he's in the Navy for like eight years altogether, but he just started making music and mm -hmm. would upload it to Twitter and just go out to sea. Like, literally go out to sea. No Wi-Fi, nothing. You know, I don't know how that works. It doesn't make sense to me because it's the ocean, but whatever. <laughs> and um, come back and would have tens of millions of views. Like, oh. one artist shared his stuff, and, like, that's literally what happened. The long and short of it is I'm 99% sure he's the first person since Elvis to be, like, forced out because of fame. Oh, um, wow. I had no idea. Yeah, I had no idea. Yeah, he didn't really want to leave, I don't think, because, like, his dad was a master chief. Okay. Like an E9, and his mom was in, so, like, comes from, like, a real, and his granddad, like, a real, so like, a like, military family. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he talked about, like, how his dad had, like, a like a bottle of champagne or something that said, like, master chief, you know, Brian on it and stuff. Oh, my to gosh. give to him, but um, not long ago, he came in town. Look at him. Honestly, I had no idea. I didn't know that. He's like him. Oklahoma me. Um, <laughs> oh, for God's sake, stop it. But I, I started no. listening to his music uh, a couple years ago now. And I don't, like I said, I don't listen to a lot of country. If you go through my Spotify and stuff, there's not a lot, but I really like his music. Yeah. He's got this one song that I really, pre uh, I'm trying to think of the name of it right now. I'll show it to you after. But it's um, that new song he's got, though, with her is really, really fantastic. I think there's just a lot of, depth in his music and I think there's a lot of depth in what he has to say because it doesn't sound like he's just shooting from the hip in terms of like I'm gonna do country music now like he he seems like there's there's more no more I mean him. what I like about him is he doesn't he the live album he has is called all my homies hate Ticketmaster which Ticketmaster <laughs> owns the everything in every right. big arena and um I'm not a fan of it and neither is he but it's 
probably the song on there, Open the Gate, might be like my number one. Like yeah. I'm, I'm about to walk into the gym and tear this this roof off. Country music gets you riled up for the gym? No, just that song. Oh, just that song in particular. Yeah. Okay. Because it's Makes it's sense. about someone sitting in um in a pen and about yeah. to ride a bull, so it's open the gate. Let's uh, let's fucking go. Okay, yeah. okay. Yeah, yeah, I forgot all you guys. And it's a tribute to his father, oh, too. Oh, damn. Yeah. Yeah, and he's like, the whole song, the whole, you got to listen to the whole song. Okay. Because it's talking about, like, how I couldn't do the thing. It's, I don't want to. It's a whole vibe. Listen yeah, to I'll it. Yeah, I'll listen to it on the flight. The but best yeah, no. part about it is that whole album, this is the last Zach Bryan thing. The whole album's recorded at Red Rocks, so, like, it's oh. snowing. They didn't anticipate that. And he's like, he's like, I'm so sorry. My guitar gets out of tune. It's cold. But the whole crowd stayed the whole time there. Wow, good for and they, him. You know, they probably had one shot at it. And they had the That's sunken cost of. Well, they had the sunken cost of everything. Look at that. Wow. Oh, man. But honestly, what a, a what a fucking moment. Yeah, what a photo, too. He brought down the house at Pilgrimage this year, too. I've never seen any of these guys live. I've only seen Megan live. And she, she played uh, when she was up in Canada. She played in Not Too Far From Me. It was last year. And my God, she can put on a show. Yeah. She rocks. Like, she's yeah. like a full-blown, like, Led Zeppelin, hair swinging. Like, I'm like, does your head hurt after that? Because <laughs> she goes hard in the paint. But, man, she puts on a performance. No, he understands. He reminds me a little bit of Garth Brooks and, like, the oh, understanding. Garth Brooks. Understanding the, well, when he was in his 90s live yeah, performance. Yeah. Like, he's all over the stage. He's running. Everyone gets a solo. It's a whole uh -huh. thing. But, um, yeah, that's what I think of when I think of country music. Yeah, but old school stuff. We're talking about hot chicken. So Okay, my apologies. Hot chicken. Fried chicken is really big in the South, but hot chicken is is from Nashville. That's, and so what? Oh, wow. Yeah, that's got to that. be. They're all singing, too. Which just, okay, just the the feeling of somebody I don't want to get another YouTube your, strike, but so this won't be on there. But, yeah. No, uh, but the, the singing, having a crowd sing your words back to you, I can imagine that would be such a profound experience and mm -hmm. an emotional experience just to be able to, I mean, you've seen it when you witness people you know see it happen to them because you you can see their whole body change. Everything changes, but I cannot imagine being on the other end. No, I, I mean, I'm either. not a singer, so. I'm gonna have to make music now just to figure it out, but. Great, that's another thing you need to add to your list of things to do. I, I wrote one song once. I believe it. I'm just saying, I don't know My that friend, you have uh, it. My friend Tucker um, sang it. It's actually, I'm really proud of it. Here we it's, go. It's it's out there. I write a lot. That's all. That's I all I've ever do. done. I write a lot. I've always written a lot. I'm surprised that you don't do more. I'm uh, working on it. I'm working. Okay, on great. It. I'm Listen. working on it. So this is what hot chicken so, looks like. Hot chicken. So spicy chicken. It's not just. There's much more to it. <laughs> um, so the story goes. Looks. Prince's good. was the first place to make hot chicken. This guy, his last name is Prince. I can't remember his first name. Um, Explore Nashville. Everyone they have better details on this. Okay. But. Um, because Stuart told me the whole story, but he was uh, he was cheating on his wife. Fantastic. And he came home and he's like drunk and like hungover. So he's a restaurateur, you know, he's doing this whole thing. And uh, he's like, baby, can you make me some of that fried chicken of yours? It's so good. It's so good. I love your fried chicken. And she goes, okay. And she dumps the cabinet, like dumps it all in there, makes it as hot as humanly possible. <laughs> and he just laps it up, eats every bite. And he goes, that's the best chicken I've ever had. And that's how hot chicken was made. Oh, so a guy who is cheating on his wife. I love that. I think about it as a woman who got her vengeance. And now it's one of, it's the thing that Nashville's no, known wow. for food-wise. They all come from that one place. That I one feel idea. like I'm going to have to. Uh, yeah. Have to I mean, but this. you go to Hattie B's, Prince's, Party Fowl. Um, I like Prince's on Nolansville Road. It's probably the, my favorite. That looks great. Either way, you guys got some interesting food down here for sure. Yeah. 
Well, it used to just be a place with cash only, and that's how you know it's a good spot. Oh, yeah. That's how I know. If you, like, yeah, come in, they're like, cash only, you're like, now we're talking. Yeah. It was funny. I went to a, a coffee shop yesterday, and they asked me, like, do you have cash? I was like, I don't know. We got loonies and toonies here. No, I just don't because you guys are, I think you're like 70, our 70 cents is like a dollar for you. So it's like, doesn't make sense for me to convert Wait. a bunch of cash. Our 70 cents is like a dollar. Do I have a higher value? No, no, no. The opposite. So like we, your dollar is my 70 cents. Nice. Yes. Yeah. We, yeah, it's not great. So we're still better. Yeah. That's what I took away. Here we go. Yeah. Yeah. Something like that. Thank you, George Washington. Nope. <laughs> no. No. Nope. No. Well, it's, it's funny. It's funny. I remember someone. You know, uh, traveling, I was in uh, Argentina for business school a few years ago, and they're like, oh, you know, the only thing they purchase stuff with is the American dollar. Mm -hmm. Like, anything over a 1000 whatever their dollars were, they're like, we use American dollars. Mm -hmm. And I was like, for real? And it just reminded me of something a long time ago. Someone said, always keep, my stepfather always told me to keep a certain amount of money on me because it'll always get you out of trouble. Mm -hmm. And to this day, I keep that amount of money on me. Okay, well, that, now people are going to rob and, you. No, I mean, it's just, you always have cash. It's like a hundred bucks. Okay. So like wherever you are in the world, like a, hundred, a 20 and a hundred dollar bill will get you out of any situation. Yeah, yeah. Like, oh, my card's not working, whatever. Here's a hundred dollars. Can you take us there? They walk. Probably. You can hold it. You can fold it. It'll get you where you got to go. You can hold it. You can fold it. You can write that down. Yeah, I was going to say right there. Trademark that. Yeah, I'm going to trademark that. I'm going to try this ketone IQ first, though, before yeah, we get into really it. Yeah, it's really good. Really, but, really good. But um, before we get into that, again, thank you so much for being here. Yeah, man. I want to talk a little bit about your book. Okay. Right? About you. Cool. And about, you know, America's hat. Pretty much. Should we should we do it together? Let's do it too. Okay. Ketone IQ. How do you say this? HVMN? It's HVMN. That's the company. The product's Ketone IQ. Oven? What does that stand for? Say again? What does it stand for? HVMN. It's like uh, health via modern nutrition. She said it. But it's it's really good. So you don't really need to shake it, but I always do at the beginning. Yeah. I always warn people, it's not the greatest taste, but it's not the greatest taste because it's not full of bullshit. It's actually a natural ketone. These are derived in the body. They did a contract with DARPA um, when they were doing their testing for this. It's a fantastic product. I personally use it. It helps my TBI a lot. It helps me have really good, clear, uh, clear mind, clean energy. And it's something that when I take it, I don't feel like I'm on crack, like I'm on a five-hour energy. Like it's actually natural and it's it's something that makes the difference. Um, okay. Yeah. Feel, fan, uh, feel fantastic. Take care every morning whenever you need to re-energize. Ketone IQ. Eight, Hotel Victor. Mike November. Let's see what we got. Ready? Ready. Sure. Cheers. Cheers. Let's do it. <laughs> you can taste the ketones. Um, <laughs> it's good though, huh? Uh, all taxation is theft. I don't know what that was. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that was weird. How'd that happen? How that happened? <laughs> Just made you spit it out. Mm. Yeah, no, that's uh. But here's the thing about that: you're always tired because you're doing a million things. So what I would tell you is, one of the best things that you can ever do for your body, your TBI, or any of the issues you got in your life is to stop caffeine at 12 o'clock. Now most people can't stop at 12. They're like, "But I'm tired at two and three, and then I have yeah. a sugar crash and all that." <laughs> Take this instead and watch okay. the difference. Okay, I'm gonna watch the difference. Ketone IQ. Mm -hmm. Um. Hotel Victor, Mike, November. I brought you another one so that you can have it later in the afternoon. No, I'm gonna give. I'm gonna give it to Blas. We'll see how what he All thinks right. about it, dude. That's that's my filter for everything. He is. Yeah, dude. He's the man. Yeah. He is him. How'd you meet him? Um, how'd I meet him? How, online, the way two dudes meet. Yeah, that's natural. I'm a big. I'm uh. I'm a big fan of his. So um, there's a podcast in town that he helped to really get off the ground. Which one's that? Um, it's called Bussin'. <laughs> Busting with the boys, and okay. he helped to get them going. And um, he's also a Metro Nashville police officer, 
and um, they uh, they're doing like a lot more episodes and a lot more stuff. They got acquired by Barstool. Nice. Yeah, and um, he came available, and I I've just slowly slid in his DMs time and time. And you just harassed him? I wore him down. I wore him down. And I was like, hey, you want to like, you want to make a podcast about veterans? He's like, finally. something (laughs) Somebody who asked me. Let's fill fill that space. Perfect, yeah, because there's not that, none of those. Yeah, well, not like this, honestly. So, um, and that's, that's um, what I like about him is he understands what the goal of the project is. Right. It's been fun. There's an objective. Yeah, his episode's going to be the best one we do. But okay, thank you. Because ma- we're on one right now. Well, no, I mean, like, it... Awesome. Continue. It's, um... It'll just be him, and I'll just get out of the way. And I think that'll be good. So I'm going to try to do that more now. But, um, you, you're from... Canada. Canada. Mm-hmm. What's that like being... Now, or what was it like? Both. I mean, what was it like when I was serving was a, a place that... I was happy to fight for and a freedom that I was willing to die for. That's what it was like. What mm-hmm. is it like now? It's a slow slip into a totalitarian, tyranny-filled country that I don't recognize. Mm. So it's it's a bit of a struggle because I love the country. I love the people there. I think the people there are the most genuine, honest, uh, heartfelt individuals. But I do believe that it is falling into uh, the hands of other countries. I believe that it's putting everyone else before it puts its citizens first. We're seeing it with immigration. We're seeing it with the homeless population. We're seeing it with mental health care. We're seeing it with things and programs like MAID. You know, we're we're having a lot of struggles up there and it's it's no different than America. You guys are having similar, yeah, no, chill out. You guys have a lot of your own issues. The only difference I would say is- Then get out. You guys have guns and because you have the second amendment and you have the freedom of speech, you guys are able to protect yourselves a little bit more from the tyranny that comes down the pipe because they know that the population is weaponized. The population will fight back. How many people are in Canada? Do you know? I have no clue at this point because we've had a boom of immigration. We took- Like what's, if you had to guess what the population- I couldn't even give you a- really? pop- I think I think the majority of Canada can fit into California. Like it's, Canada's a huge country, widespread, but I'm not sure maybe maybe your homie can check the, the stats on that. But I know that this year we've taken such a large portion of immigration uh, immigrants into the country at a pace that now we are pushing- uh, other people out of their homes because it's it's gotten so out of control. There's no housing available. There you 40 go. Forty million. Yeah. In Ameri- what is America? Three. I think America's three hundred and thirty million. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. So it's much easier to control a population that's not armed, and it's much easier to control a population that isn't thinking for itself. We're you know we're worried about everyone else and not ourselves, and that's why our country is uh, slipping and falling. Well, before opinion. we get into that in depth, which you've spoken very eloquently towards, yeah, three hundred thirty-nine million, we win. Um, sure. <laughs> no, um, it's no, uh, but I want to know what it's like growing up. So you you said transport. Yeah. So my parents are long haul truck drivers. Okay. My my dad has been since before I was born. Uh huh. My mom started driving when uh, my brother and I moved out, and then they team drive together. So they do long haul together in the truck. and then Pretend like I don't know what that means. So basically it's a, um, you know, an 18 wheeler transport, but it's got a big cab in it. So my mom and my dad live in it when they're on the road with their dogs and they just haul stuff all across uh, North America. Hmm. It's pretty much it. They haul a lot of military parts actually too, which is always fun because my dad's always proud when he goes to a base. He always sends me a photo. He'll always give our bracelets to a bunch of guys on the base. And, but no, my dad, 
my dad was gone a lot. He was a truck driver. Uh, my mom was stay-at-home mom and uh, had a really unique childhood because of that. Uh, my brother and I were always always with her, which was fine. Um, but when dad would come home, it would just be different, right? It's like having divorced parents essentially because they mm. were gone for two, three weeks at a time. Whole different style. Whole different style. Yeah. It's just like it, you get used to it. Um, but my, you know, my dad is uh, one of the hardest working individuals I've ever met in my life, but he's definitely, you know, grew up with like seven brothers and sisters. They didn't have like running water till he was, I think 12, you know, farm family. My mom came from- We grew up in Canada? Yeah, yeah, in Ontario. In Ontario? Yeah, in Ontario. And then my mom comes from a small town in Ontario as well, but um, her dad is from Hungary. Okay. So he got chased out um, when the Soviets invaded after World War II and he came to Canada. Okay. Um, still to the day he died, barely spoke a lot of English, worked at a shoe factory, kind of hard Your working. grandfather? Yeah, my, okay. my Nutch Papa, yeah. Okay. So Your what? My Nutch Papa, it's is Hungarian. That, that's cool, yeah. I like that. Yeah, he didn't talk much. So- Well, that's cool. Now I understand why though, it makes sense. You okay. know, the war, the whole World War II thing. Yeah. It, it cracks. So so yeah, I grew up with a, an immigrant family, um, on one side that had a, a harder upbringing, if you will, because of the experiences he went through. So my mom was definitely a little harder, a little mm -hmm. more abrupt. And then my dad came from that as well. So my parents were really, really of the mindset of working hard, just working hard to, to achieve anything. And you could do that as long as you didn't use the word can't. Can't. Can't Never doesn't exist. Never use the word can't. Hmm. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. So do you know... Did you grow up in like a predominantly French area? No. So Canada's second language is French. I but thought it was its first. No. English. I'm not going to argue that, but I just No, it's it okay. Was. English yeah, is yeah. its first. Uh, Canada's second language is French. But the majority of Canada from the East Coast, uh, so if you go like mid-Canada, which is like Ontario, all the way over to like PEI, there's a good French section in there. But if you go the opposite, go West Coast, so mm -hmm. Saskatchewan, Alberta, and all of that, you, I don't hear a ton of French, but then once you get to British Columbia, it's definitely not French. Mm. You hear more Farsi, Pashto, Arabic, um, you know, uh, Punjabi, Mandarin, Cantonese, English. Okay. Yeah. So like a hodgepodge. I guess what I'm trying to get at is like when I think of Canada's culture, yep. I think of like two things. I think of um, French Parisian uh, societal norms. Okay. So Quebec. Yeah, that's that's all. And I know it's, I don't really care because it's not America. You're but right. um, you call that a country, dude? This no, is how uh, our phone conversations no, go um, constantly. No, but I think of it like that. And then I think of like real blue collar, hardworking yeah. people because it's just a gnarly place to live. Yeah. It feels like you're on the like frozen tundra. It can. It's not like that all the time. I mean, summers are hot. Like in where I grew up in Ontario, I grew up in the middle of nowhere. It's 17 acres of forest and we cut and split wood to heat the house and we sold wood and like, that's just what we did. Mm -hmm. And the winters are freezing for sure. And you get a lot of snow in Ontario where I live now. I live as South towards America as you can get. So mm. I'm in British Columbia on the very, <laughs> on the West coast and I'm right on the border of Washington. Okay. So we don't get like a ton of the snow that like maybe the mountains will get and things like that. But if you live in the prairies, yeah, it's like minus 40. I don't know what that is for you, but it's freezing to the point where if you brought, when we did workup training, we did some of it in Alberta during the winter, the guns would freeze. You couldn't fire them. Mm. It's just too damn cold. So it's a different way to live for sure. The more up North you go, the harder the, harder the uh, conditions can be, but Canada in general is a pretty incredible country. And when you say, it's funny when you say like, when you think of Canada, 
culturally, what do you I've think of? I've been there before. Yeah. yeah, I just don't. Edmonton, Alberta. Yeah, so you're on the West Coast. Um, yes. Yeah, that's the far West. But what I would say about it is like, I've had this conversation with a few people recently where they're like, what's Canada's culture? I'm like, I don't feel like Canada has an identity anymore or a culture. It's such a melting pot that when I think of Canada, I mean, we've changed our national anthem. We're not allowed to talk about a lot of things. We're not allowed to do a lot of things. I don't feel like Canada is what it was. And so culturally- you, Hang on, let me stop for a second. Um, you, you said you changed your national anthem. What does that mean? So we can't say, well, because we, because, you know, just like you guys- So Canada, oh We Canada. stole, no, we say like, oh, Canada, but there's like lines in it. So like we stole all the land, just like you guys stole a whole bunch of land in America, right? From your, you guys call them Native Americans. We call them indigenous in Canada. We can't say Native Americans. We have to say indigenous. Okay. So just follow me here. And then we put them all into residential schools and took their kids away from their families. And then the church came over and abused them and killed them and beat them and all these lovely things. So we changed our national anthem once they started to find, I don't know if you heard about the residential school, the, the mass graves. So we started to find mass graves um, outside so of the residential. Yeah. yeah. We started to find mass graves outside of, outside of residential schools. Um, mass graves. Mass graves mass of indigenous graves. people. Mm -hmm. And so- How old were they? Uh, well, at the school, you were age five to 18. Um, so yeah, so we changed it with gender neutral lyrics. We changed it so that the indigenous wouldn't be upset. And so that's, that's hard for me. I don't agree with that. Um, that bothers me a lot in, in the, all thy son's command. Okay. So they changed it a little bit. O Canada, the country's national anthem to mm -hmm. make the English language version gender neutral. Gender neutral, yeah. The move came after decades of unsuccessful efforts and some last minute political drama. Um, which mm -hmm. gained a status, blah, blah, blah. True patriots, true patriot love in all of us rather than. All thy sons command. So it used to be an all thy sons command. Now it's an all of us command. Okay. It's a small change and it may not be a big thing, but you try and change the, you know, the Star Spangled Band, like you guys- Not on my fucking watch. Exactly. <laughs> but that's my point. It's like, we're changing things. We're doing things to appease, you know, point one of the population. We're doing things to make others feel comfortable. We're not thinking about the citizens that were born and raised in that country. I think, I think uh, honestly, my, my biggest issue with stuff like that is, I mean, yeah, I understand like wanting to be more inclusive of, of all different types of people and-, and and different things. And I think anyone should strive towards that. But like, it just feels weird. I don't know. Like, I don't understand like changing like your, your anthem because, um, I mean, why don't, why don't we focus on other things? It's why just, don't we focus on the homeless like, population? Why don't we focus on the saying. no housing? Like, there's other, there's other stuff that I feel like is much, let's not call it low hanging fruit because it's harder to fix, but more obvious fruit. Is it though? Well, I mean, because we can give hundreds of millions to proxy wars in other countries, but we kills. can't. <laughs> yeah, no. But we can't help our own citizens. No, but yeah. that's a real thing in Canada. You got to understand, your government's not trying to actively kill you. Ours is. Ours is using MAID. 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 Medical assistance and dying. Okay. Okay. So let's go on this tangent for a second. Sure. Just fo just follow. This is important shit. So okay. here's what's happening. Canada is now offering and has been offering veterans instead of support for their TBI and PTSD, medical assistance and dying. Meaning they'll call you on the phone and say, hey, I need help. I need to get into psychological treatment. I need to go to some type of treatment facility because I'm not feeling well, I'm not doing this. And the other person on the other line would go, hey, how about MAID? Meaning the government will walk you into a hospital and kill you on the taxpayer dollar and mm -hmm. they'll profit from it. Now they're offering it to the mentally ill, addicts and the homeless. That's eugenics. This is, this is like a, a this wide, is right now. This is like a widely known program. 
Yes, it's in the entire country of Canada. I'm, that's why I'm Good going on trigonometry. It's one on. of the things I'm talking about. What there do you mean? Go, what do you mean trigonometry? The podcast in London. Okay. Okay. Can you start at the top? I want to see the abstract statement. Um, in collaboration with the Indigenous Peoples Health Canada has begun a multi-pillar engagement process on MAID supporting Indigenous-led engagement. That's just about Indigenous. Okay, hang But on. MAID is coming into full focus. Hang on, wait one, wait one second, let me read this. Medical assistance in dying is a process that allows someone who's been found eligible to receive assistance, medical practitioner in the ending of their life. The federal uh, criminal code, code of Canada, Canada permits, permits a permit under, under very specific circumstances, but that's not true. Okay, well, that's just what we're... That's just from Canada.cn.health, whatever. Yeah, it's the Gov website. Um, so that is the Gov website. So I don't, yeah, I don't have a response to that at yeah. all. But. So cool. So here's the thing. In March of 24, because it was supposed to happen in March of 23 this year, mm -hmm. they're now opening it up to the mentally ill. Hmm. So instead of going into the hospital and saying that you, hey, I'm, I feel suicidal, and then they'll hold you for 72 hours to protect yourself, mm -hmm. they'll offer you maid. Hmm. That's not okay to me. So Canada is a beautiful place, but the way it's being run right now is exceptionally concerning in the fact that nobody else is screaming from the rooftops going that Canada is actively killing the vulnerable population. It's completely unacceptable. And even though it says make a request, I have leaked documents that show that they will kill you within 24 hours. Hang on one second. Regardless of location, you can request medical assistance in dying if you're eligible. If you're experiencing a lot of pain and suffering due to your medical situation, talk to your... F your physician or nurse practitioner, you can discuss these options to your circumstances and your possible interest in medical assistance in dying. Um, how and where the services will be offered is determined by medical institutions, provinces, and territories. The organizations that regulate health professionals, you ha may have to meet other requirements. Your healthcare provider will tell you more. If you don't have a regular practitioner, you or your province have a central um, coordination service that can help you. Holy fucking shit. That is on the Canada.ca stupid website. Um, Canada.gov. All right. So, yes. Canada's interesting. It's not interesting. Uh, it, I don't know. I don't have the words for it. I'm going to have to, that'll, that'll take me a beat to process. Yeah. Um, I, as someone who's been in healthcare um, for a decade, you know, I've, I've seen like hospice and stuff, and I do I do believe in some things of like, you know, when people are at the end of their life, allow them to pass as they want. But I don't think we should be having, killing, actively killing people. I, yeah, like mm -hmm. I mean, what I'm talking about is people who have who are like literally dying; their bodies are shutting down. That's completely different. So I used to um, believe that until um, a disabled activist came over from Canada, and we did a documentary on this, and she asked me about this. She goes, "What's the difference between somebody who's going to die in terms of a terminally ill and versus somebody that?" wants to walk into the hospital and say that. They want to enact the right well, to die. What I'm referring to is literally someone who's, who's it's like- palliative care. Yes, that's so what I'm referring to. So the way to. that you do that though, because what happens is Canada has a law, right? And once mm -hmm. you crack open the law, you don't get to decide what walks through after that. Mm -hmm. So they're amending the law right now because before it was just terminally ill. You had to be palliative care or terminally ill. Yeah. Now it's individuals who, Sorry, that caught me off guard. Now it's individuals who have mental health issues like depression and fibromyalgia. Mm -hmm. Now it's individuals who just, they sent a packet to a bunch of pensioners in my town saying, you know, if it's too expensive to live, it's too hard to live, you can act your right for maid. So it's like these laws, you have to be but really why? careful. What, what is the purpose of that? Why, why, why would Canada purposefully try to 
erased its citizenship. Well, it's really easy to do when you all of a sudden now don't have to pay, pay people's pensions and you no longer have the people who are liability on the bur and a burden on the system, right? So you got to think about the long-term benefits of not having to forcefully pay out all the veterans' pensions and all of the other individuals, mm -hmm. you know, healthcare rights. So Canada's an interesting duck right now because they're doing something that, like I said, I, I said this on Pierce Morgan, we have the fastest growing population actively taking MAID as an option, which is in the globe. It's terrifying. Why is that though? That's what happens when you make things not affordable and people have to leave their homes because they can't live there anymore because they're 75 years old and their pensions don't cover their rent. It's what happens when you force feed people uh, pharmaceutical medication and they can't think clearly for themselves. It's what happens when people end up having to be homeless and become addicted to drugs because the government's done a really good job of making that easy. Well, what is the goal? What is like... Smaller population is easier to control. Okay. That's it. It's that simple. It's not that difficult. It's very simple. It's like your liability, you cost us a lot of money. How about made? Hmm. Well, I've seen it. Like we've had a, there's a lovely female I'm speaking with next week. Her mother was a, I believe a psychiatric nurse and she was going through a mental health down spiral. And within 24 hours, without her daughters or any other family members knowing, she walked into a hospital and was killed. Like that you shouldn't you shouldn't be able to take people's lives in a hospital. Hospitals are supposed to be to help you the goal, if you're vulnerable. Well, I mean, that our the healthcare system in America is not perfect by any means, but the goal of the healthcare system in America is to actually elongate your life. Exactly. Like, that's real, the point. Realistically, as brutal as it may sound, and I can say this because I was a part of it, um, their goal is to keep you alive and bill you as long as possible. Absolutely. We should fix that. We should have like Prevent it. We should preventative care. I'm not going to go down that. It's a nightmare. Mm -hmm. I don't understand why a flat rate tax doesn't work. So, like, <laughs> but the goal, the goal is to keep you there because you're a billable customer. Absolutely. So, yeah. To hear that is, yeah. So Canada's taken a turn in a lot of ways. But either way, like, look. Wow, they even have the protocols on here. Yeah, they'll tell this you. This is on the Canadian website. Yeah, they'll tell you. How Wait, to hang do on. It. That's the National Institute of Health.gov. You know, a real government website. Here we go. Um. Yeah, wow. that's how you gotta do it. Man, this is disheartening is not even the right word. I don't have protocol kits. I don't with have fixed dosages of medication, including the anesthesia, propofol, and the paralactic. Wow, yeah. and a backup kit in case there's a failure, meaning it doesn't actually kill you. We'll hit you again. Well, no, that's because most you don't know how the drugs will respond. Doesn't matter. You shouldn't be doing this. I, I know. I'm just saying, like, it's it's not. It's it, you, like you, there's just literally like a certain amount of message. You don't know how a patient. All that you it. do is you do better pre preventative care, better palliative care, and don't make people suffer. Yeah. Don't have open air drug markets so the opioid crisis is so damn bad where people don't have a place to turn. There's ways to fix these things, but this this right here makes people too much money. It is not. Yeah. So um, anyway, Canada is great. Yeah. I love, listen, people are like, like you, you tell me all the time when we're on the phone, it's like, why don't you move to the States? Why don't you move to the States? Why don't you move to the States? Because it's better. It's not about that. For me, it's it about- It 100% is better. No, I fought for that country, man. No, no, I'm, I, dude, I, hey, I'm co-signing, I'm sending, I'm shipping that all day. Yeah. No, I like, I fought for that country. Yeah. So it's like, I can't, I don't feel like I can abandon it. And it's like, well, what are you doing to fight for it? It's like, well, I'm doing my best to talk about the things that are going on in the country. So the rest of the world wakes up to the, the severity of what's going on. It's supposed to be a free country. See, this is something I've said recently, and I'll probably get in trouble for saying it again now, but I have no real concern over that. Um, 
what I love about you is your passion for your country, but more importantly, you've been to other countries so yeah. you can like speak towards it. Yeah. I have this new rule that I want to start enacting is if you've never left like your home country, <laughs> you shouldn't really speak on like any other country. Like world topics? Yeah, in general. Like if you haven't been to a place where like water's like an issue, I don't want to hear your opinions on anything. On like wells? On like anything. Like I, I don't I don't want to hear your opinions on the economy. I don't, think- don't want to hear your opinions on like if you haven't been to a place where they're like uh, we have uh, rolling brownouts, right? Because yeah. blackouts is not a thing. Blackouts is just shuts out. Rolling brownouts are like a thing where it's just like, oh, it's just, there's just too many people plugging in a fan. Yeah. Like, I don't want to hear your opinion. Yeah. Because, like, without that level of knowledge of the reality of stuff outside of first world countries like America, most places in the Western UK, um, you know, all, North America, the, the continent, all of that, like, I just don't want to hear it. Because you just fly a few hours south to South America, it's a whole different world down there. Mm-hmm. A whole different world down mm-hmm. there. Um, I, think that's a fair, I think that's a fair statement and assessment. I think most of the times, like you said, there's, we've got a million podcasts out there, multi-million dollar multi-million dollar podcast, huge amounts of anything people could listen to. It's not about- We're a one million podcast. I'm just kidding. But the point is, is like you, people speak on podcasts every day. Like everybody has a voice now because of the internet, right? So it matters. (laughs) Well, that's what I'm saying is like, it matters what you say. It matters the information you put out because at the end of the day, you're the sum of the five. And if you're listening to five shitty podcasts or five shitty musicians or five shitty people around you, you're going to end up being that way. So you need to put the effort in. And if you're going to talk to people, you should talk to people who have life experience, worldly experience, or something else to offer. Well, I think I think we just don't value things we used to. Right. That might be the best way to say it. Yeah. It's, I'm building the sentence in my head. I know it... It's helping things as ketone IQ. But um, when I think when I think about like I, I honestly learned more going to other countries outside of the military than I ever did because like you really get to see people where they are mm-hmm. and like understand the different environment and like as I'm, I'm not saying America, Canada, any of them are, are the best or like we're perfect. None of that. That's that's a childish view of reality. But um, what I am saying is that just go somewhere else before you you comment on anything mm-hmm. because like. Once you have that perspective, it does allow you to have a better understanding of how to move forward, in yeah. my opinion. No, absolutely. Without any type of like global citizenry or whatever the term is, like you're kind of just, you're missing out. You're yeah. honestly missing out on like how cool it is to, like you can literally drink the the water that goes in your toilet in America. I think about that all the time. I mean, it depends on where you live in America. You guys' water is pretty damn bad. Yeah, I'm not talking, but like pound <laughs> for pound, you can drink it. Other yeah. places, like you take showers, you can't. Like you yeah. can't, but I'm, but our stuff's so clean, you can like scoop it out. If times are tough, you can scoop it out of there and do what you got to do. Yeah. Right. But like, that's just the toilet water. So like all the things I'm saying is like other places, electricity, all these, it just makes me insane. And I think we do these things to try and really shore up our, ourselves in the eyes of history mm-hmm. that we're missing the stuff with the opioid epidemic, mm-hmm. with the mental health crisis, mm-hmm. with all the different things that continue to plague us. Like, you know, um, you know, healthcare is kind of all over the place. We don't really have like good solutions when like for like um, all the different, you know, uh, health issues we have when like most of them are like eat less, move more, get outside. Like it's just kind of the same stuff it's always been. And uh, when you kind of get back to that. I think we've, human beings have moved so far away from what it means to be uh, a human. 
Mm. We've we've insulated ourselves. We're in our houses mo- the majority of the day. We don't want to be cold. We don't want to be too hot. We don't allow ourselves to feel discomfort in any way, shape, or form. And everything is at your fingertips, right? Like I can pick up my phone right now, and I can, we can have a a meal brought here. We could probably have shopping brought here. We could have a vehicle brought here. We could do yes, everything. Yes, it's awesome. It is, and it isn't though, because it's softened a society to the point where we have now pushed ourselves further away from what it means to be a a human being, uh, what we need and what helps us thrive. Mm -hmm. And that's why you're seeing uh, these countries kind of break down is because we're constantly perpetuating, staying in your home, not moving your body, eating shitty food, being around shitty people and saying, no, we have to accept that. There's no boundaries in those things. So I think the way we get back to it is just being really simple things, movement, clean food, clean water, outside. Like it's not difficult in community. Mm. These things are all tangible, accessible and at our fingertips, but yet they require effort and discomfort and people don't know well, how to handle that. But that's the thing, when you, when you haven't left your, just your state, your province, whatever, yeah. and you haven't gone other places, you haven't experienced the world. Yeah. Like, it's the same, this, I make this argument all the time. Everyone's like, take the stairs. Like you see, you'll see like these clips of dudes being like, when I'm in the airport, I take the stairs. Oh, I'm an asshole. I do it too. No, you're insane. Like I work out seven days a week. I'm going to take the escalator in the airport. I'm going to take the elevator. I move more than most people. And like that one time when I'm in the airport, I'm not going to be sweaty. I'm not going to be uncomfortable. It's a set of stairs. Why are you getting sweaty going upstairs if you work out so much? I get sweaty tying my shoes. It's a whole, it's a whole different thing. It's a vibe with you, huh? No, it's just, I'm. I'm I'm running hot. My my point is that like we do these things all the time to like make our lives softer. There are things that are conveniences that we should embrace, but there, we should understand like what I'm trying to say is like I do those things because I'm really trying to not hurt myself, but I'm pushing myself to my limits physically right. every other day. That should be that's the perfect way technology should work, right? Mm-hmm. You're going up multiple flight stairs, hit the escalator, hit the elevator, right? Because you were out doing cardio, you were out doing weightlifting, you were doing something, you were stretching, you were doing yoga, whatever it is, you were pushing yourself outside of those moments. But instead, we do all of it, right? Mm-hmm. And that's where we're messing up. We do mm-hmm. the escalator, the elevator, yep. the, you know, and then we're not doing anything. It's all or nothing, right? In, in Western culture, it's, it's all, all or, or nothing. nothing. That's it. Yeah, and that's a bit of a problem, right? We got to get that balance back, but balance only happens when you're willing to go outside your comfort zone and you're when you're willing to put yourself into uncomfortable situations. Like one of the things that I tell people to do so much and like Gary Brecka says this and I think it's brilliant. He's like, you have to ground. You gotta go outside. Yeah. You gotta go outside. I don't care if it's raining. I don't care if it's snowing. I don't care if it's sunny. I don't care if it's too hot. Go outside mm-hmm. and go outside. do it. So go outside it and do it. Well, and you have to ground, and that's that's the most that is I actually like that a lot. Yeah, well, it works a lot. It's one of the biggest tools I have at my disposal. Anybody has at their disposal. Take your shoes off, stand in the grass. It's not difficult, and it doesn't require a lot of effort. And while you're doing there, why don't you just do a couple of breathing exercises while you're standing there? Don't scroll on your phone. Just put your phone down for ten minutes and do that. It'll make a monumental amount of improvement on your life, your fitness, um, how you see the world, and your perspective. That little, those little things, they're the key to success. It's not going and running marathons and doing Ironmans and like beating the shit out of your body. It's like, no, it's the consistent small steps that you take. That's how you make the change and that's how you feel better. That's how you be the change you want to see. That's it. That's how you be the change you want to see. Mm-hmm. We're going to talk more about that when we come back. we we'll take a quick little break. Mm-hmm. We're to talk more about your life uh, on the gun line, what you're doing after and cool. everything that's happening and this great book. We'll be right back. And we're back. Like we Feels, never left. It's like we never left like and we're back. Left. But um, there's we've covered a lot mm-hmm. here in the in the front, but I wanted to talk more about you and your life in the military. Okay. Um, what was it 
that made you go from being a truck driver, truck driver's daughter, well, both of them are, yeah, truck driver's daughter, like your family's in, mm-hmm. in this industry to like, I want to serve. I met a lady on a bus. Okay. So like, I didn't come from a military background or a military family. We didn't hunt. Yeah. Nothing. Didn't have guns. I think my dad had a 22 for like raccoons and shit. Like I didn't have- Varmint gun is what we call them. Is but that, yeah, that's perfect. It's the perfect varmint gun. Yeah. Is that what, is that what the deal is? That's okay. my granddaddy I never shot them. it. Yeah. I never- Small round. It's fast moving. Right. Yeah. So we had those, uh, but I never, I never had exposure to hunting or anything like that. But I went to college in Ottawa, which is in Ontario. It's the capital of Canada. Okay. And it's really small. And I was there and I- Went to Remembrance Day ceremony, which just passed for us and you, which is Veterans Day in America. Is and it the same date? Yeah. Okay. That's we cool. just call it, so it's same with Britain too. So Remembrance Day is where we wear the poppies, the red poppies that you see. That's what it is? That's what those are. Okay. So we wear the poppies. It's a solemn day. For you guys, you say, you know, like happy veteran, excuse me, happy veterans day. We, it's like, thank you for your service day kind mm-hmm. of thing. Like lest we forget. Do y'all have a memorial day? No, that is our day. It's Veterans Day and Memorial Day combined? Pretty much, yeah. That makes, so that's why we were talking about this last night. That's why it's so solemn. Yeah, because it's our day. I think it should be separate. Of course it should be, but it's easier if you just combine everything because then you have, you don't want to get into that. Because Memorial Day is for those who never, those we lost. Right, and so is Remembrance Day. But Veterans Day is just to, to kind of, it's for me, I always say it's like, it's that, it's that community tap in. Yeah. It's that community checkpoint. Right. Right, especially for Marines. Um and I've made it longer than ever than talking about the Marines, so that's that's a good thing. But no, uh, that's a record. Um, but Marine Corps birthday yeah, is really it, close. Uh, it's the tenth, right? And so, but it's it's the Marine Corps birthday. But everyone really gets down with it. It's the only branch in America that does that. Um, I mean, everyone has their birthday, flag day for the Army and stuff. But the Marine Corps birthday is just like a, it's an event, right? And um, then it goes right into Veterans Day, so it's always like a good checkpoint. So I guess what I'm trying to say is like I feel like it's missing from your veteran culture having Memorial Day and Veterans Day combined because I always say Veterans Day like that time to like go back in and check in on people and people who aren't like really aware of their um, feelings or whatever they're going through or they've forgotten about the community. It kind of pushes them to go back to it, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah, I'm a big believer in making phone calls every day though. Yeah. So, and you know that because you're on that list. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, for me, it's like, that's my all year round deal. Like I, I do buddy checks every week, every day. I at least call one person a day. I'm always checking in. So for me, when Remembrance Day comes around, that's more of a, I go inward kind of day. Those are the days where I go in and I think about the people I lost and the people that have been lost and all of those um, that came before us. So Remembrance Day, we wear the poppy, we go down to the ceremony. And I was on my way back from the ceremony and I met this lady who was Air Force uniform, big mm-hmm. row of medals. That mm-hmm. was back when Canada gave more than one medal for you know, multiple deployments. Mm-hmm. And she just had an impact on me. She had a, this massive impact. And, you know, I, I've been thinking a lot about that because I get that question, like, why'd you join? Why'd you join? And the more and more I've kind of dove into what that human represented on the bus for me was she re- represented so much more in the, in the sense of she lived a real life worth dying for. Mm. That real true sense, right? She was willing to put her life on the line for something greater. Mm-hmm. And that was inspiring to me And I wanted that. I wanted to have a life of purpose, but I wasn't sure what my purpose was at the time. I was 17 when I graduated and I went to college. What year? Uh, This was 07. Okay. Um, And then I joined, uh, this was November 11th, right after I quit college and I joined the army. 
right away. In 07. 07. Yeah, I was sworn in the in December. I started basic in January of 08. Mm-hmm. And then um, about a year and a couple months after I was deployed right away. So we were cracking fast. So like, it was so interesting. I was talking to Tyler last night and he's like, you know, why we were so effective when everything went sideways was because we had been training for four years for that. You're talking about TVA, mm-hmm. Tyler Vargas, Andrews, yeah. And what, what blew my mind about that, he's like, so how long were you? And I was like, I was, I was in four years. Yeah. And I was like, so the amount of training you got before you went and did something was the entire service that I did, including a deployment. Yeah. We were turning and burning really, really fast because you guys have a multitude of humans where we didn't have near as many people in the country. So in terms of combat arms, our service, we're not a huge, huge, huge military. We're pretty big, but we're not like a, like America is with Marines and Army and Navy and Air Force. How many branches do you have? Army, Navy, Air Force. Okay. So when deployments started going in Afghanistan, we were turning like every six months. Like we were we were moving fast. That was your dwell time? Yeah. Six months? Mm-hmm. Sometimes nine for some people, but mostly six. What's the deployment timeline? No, that was, sorry, that was the deployment time. So six months? Mm-hmm. Okay. Sometimes longer. And then uh, the yeah. SF dudes were different, right? They just- yeah, they Very get, different. They get like 10 seconds or or like 10 years. Yeah, it's yeah. like a whole, it's a whole different animal. So I am I was just a gunner. I was just a grunt. I was just a pogue. I was just like very much ran guns and that was my job. But I had such a short period of time to learn all of that. Okay, so for anyone else who doesn't know, mm-hmm. what is that, what does everything you just said mean? So I was a, uh, I'm an army I'm an army gunner. I was an army gunner. I ran the howitzers. I'm an artillery gunner. So mm-hmm. I used to shoot the 155 millimeter howitzers, okay. which shoot around. That's about 100 pounds. Goes up to about 40 kilometers. Um, I basically, when I describe it to people who don't understand, I'm like, do you ever see like a war movie? And they're like, yeah. I'm like, you hear that? Mm-hmm. Boom. That's what mm-hmm. I did. Yeah. So it was a, a really beautiful job, something I loved doing, something I was really proud of doing, something I'm I'm glad I got the opportunity to do. I love the howitzers. I love the mortars. I love the Carl G's. I love the big booms, you know, any of the big guns. I was also a remote, uh, remote weapon system gunner for the T-Lav on the turret. Um, Walk me through it. Walk me through how a gun line works for oh, anyone who doesn't know. And it's been keep, so long. I'm going to get it wrong. Keep it, I'm going to well, get it wrong for sure. Who cares? Whatever. It, people will be like, she doesn't even know. I know. And that's why that's I'm fine. like, who cares is not, who cares? That's fine. So my experience with, with this weapon system is is being on the receiving, not the receiving. Underneath call, it. Underneath it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, not the receiving end. Because uh, you just, wouldn't be here. Here's my, here's my experience with it. Danger close. Like, yes, yes. <laughs> like yeah. that's it. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, uh, all right, so here's, here's a, We'll, we'll chop this up, but okay. like- so here's a triple seven. This triple is, seven yeah, howitzer, so they're pulled in. It's a big gun. Yep. You're on the firing line. Yep. Put the rounds together for me, do it. All right, so we're gonna pull in. We're gonna, yeah, we're gonna lower the barrel. We're gonna get it all set. You're gonna set the trails in the back and you're gonna make sure that the gun's level. That's one of the biggest things. So those are those big trails that dig into the ground that prevent that thing from kind of kicking backwards too far. And when you fire around, they 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 dig right in. Yeah. They're gonna boom. They do. And it's um, hydraulics. So the gun kicks back naturally unless something goes wrong. And then you have uh, basically a long pipe on the side where you can pump the hydraulics. So right now they're just kind of leveling the gun out. I um, did that actually at uh, Fort Campbell. It sucks so bad. I, yeah, it's literally just like an old timey crank system. It is. Yeah. Yeah, it's rough. But then we've got amazing, we've got amazing technology now in terms of the sights, right? So yeah. we're not just using two glow sticks anymore and kind of going like range in between. And like, it's a whole different thing when you're learning on the howitzers versus learning on the 105s. Okay. So we trained on the 105s and we learned the howitz, um, we learned the 155s when we were getting ready for deployment. So these guys are like, this is an American gun. So they're slightly, slightly different, but essentially they're just lining up the sights right now to fire. And while that's all happening, guys are taking rounds off the trucks 
and getting those guys ready. Um, you can see the ammunition right there. Yep. So we'll take them off. Most and the, of the bullets, time. I mean, the round is in multiple different pieces, correct? No, it can be. So how it works is the round itself uh, is one one big piece, and then you have different fuses on the top. That's what I'm confused. Yeah, so the fuses are different depending on what you want. Okay. You can have delayed fuse, you know, all of those lovely things. But then you also have the charge bags that come in behind. So that's what I'm saying. Like, yeah, they, they yeah. have a whole different thing. All right, so they're digging it, putting it in, right? Yeah. Anchoring it down, mm -hmm. line up sights. Yep. Um, see if we can skip ahead, boss, to like where they're they're putting the round in the chamber. And the hard part is for me to say it in English because I learned all these weapon systems in French. Yeah. So it's a little bit different. But what I will say though, is like when we were deployed, our guns didn't move. So- Did they speak French too? Were they like, we? Oui. My unit? Guns. Yeah, my unit was all French. No, the guns, when you would shoot them, they go, oh. Uh, yeah. yeah, did they make a French comment back? Yeah. yeah, absolutely. So right now he's gonna pull the lanyard and boom, there we go. So- That's, dude, that's the coolest thing I've ever done. Pulling the lanyard yeah. on it. I. It's so funny to me that such a weapon of such destructions held together by yarn. I know. But- um. Yeah. Oh, dude, it's so cool. I have some videos of myself. But so those guys were just ramming that round up. So it takes a couple dudes. You see that big arm yep. there. What happens is you're going to drop the round. Uh, see that big- Ejector. Uh, yeah, e see that thing go out? Ejection. He just put a um, he just put a fuse in behind the round. Yep. Now they're going to line it up, check the sights, attach the lanyard, wait for the fire, fire, boom. And you pull away with your hips, not your yeah, hands. Yeah, always with your hips. So see how yeah. they're- So you ram around in. There goes the charge bag. There you go. See the fuses on top there? Yep. You can change those fuses. And the different Delay, color rounds. impact. Yeah, and those different color rounds are going to be something different, whether they're smoke, HE, white phosphorus, all of those things. And the nice thing about the guns is there's always two together. You're never alone. There's always two guns running together. Um, it's just for safety. You guys use different charge bags than we do, so I've never used any of those. Mm. Ours are a, um, a seven stack, and you can take the charges out, and then you spin it. Okay. That's the inside of a breach. Um, and you'll see on the right-hand side, what happens is the trail comes down, which holds the round, and then you ram it up from there. Yes. But as you can see. Yeah. What are you, you talking about? Did you just walk through it perfectly? I what know, I haven't you, done it in a long time. What though. are you worried about? Stop, dude. I know, but everybody's got something to say online, right? So, so they push it in. Who and cares? so one of my jobs is like, we all circulate the gun, Yeah. right? Um, so you'll do a different role. Depending like, on who gets there fastest. During a fire mission, will you yeah. rotate jobs? Just yeah, so you and you should because in my opinion- rounds are heavy. They're super, so they're about hundred pounds or yeah. just under hundred. I weigh 110. Okay. So I had to learn how to work those and run those. You see how he pulled that plastic piece yeah. that he, I hated those things. I only used them one time. Every time I used them, they would get caught in the gun. So we would just take the bags and then naturally toss it up yeah. underneath. You gotta, don't you have to like make a fist or something? No, no, no. That's the old 105s. The round you go like this okay. and push up like this because it's got a brass casing. Okay. These ones don't have casings attached to them anymore. Okay. So the my favorite job on that gun was uh, I loved loading the charges and opening. So Ove, yeah, drop the round in, ram the round in. Walk me through it French. Do yeah, it. was it? Well, he already, so Ove, and then the round goes in. Load in, armé, chargé, fire, boom. Au revoir. <laughs> Au revoir. <laughs> exactly. See? But yeah. Yeah, it's but it's interesting, right? Because every time that trail moves, then you have to readjust those sights. So you yeah. have to be really, really careful and that danger close, that stuff happens, stuff gets sketchy if you're oh, not. Oh no, it happens a lot. Uh, I know. So here's the thing. When I was overseas, I'm an artillery gunner in RWS system and the mortar. But when I went with the Brits, 
I was infantry for the first time and I'd never been underneath. It's scary. And I was underneath and I have a video where I'm sitting in like a hole and you just hear, oh, boom. And I'm mm-hmm. going, oh, please. I know yeah. who's firing these. Oh my God, please be careful. All I ever think about is that somebody put a little more, a little less scoop of That's something. That's all it takes. Those just fuses, a, just, one wrong fuse. Just a little, just a little movement. Maybe, maybe what somebody once told me is like, don't even worry about that. Worry about moisture. And I thought about that forever. I was like, what if it's wet? What if it's dry? Like, just the smallest amount of variation changes all of it. But no, we when we did um, the insertion into a town called Garmser, we waited and we did, we literally just dropped like rounds, round after round. Mm-hmm. And you hear them like, it's like a jet, like, yeah. yeah. And, then, and then stuff just disappears. You're like, oh my God. They, they, <laughs> somebody terrifying. told me once, it was an American who said, he's like, you guys are like the hand of God. Yeah, it's like we'll reach out and touch you. Yeah, no, it's it's scary, and it, it I mean it changed the battle. It changed the battle Completely. space. So, so we were like able to really kind of have a lot more movement. Um, so I was in what was called the twenty fourth mu. So we had direct assets as opposed to like usually they'll put that to like a regiment, like a regiment level, battalion level, mm-hmm. like it's supporting multiple different things. This was just our gun line, so it was very responsive and. It, it was insane, honestly. I, I love the guns because they're really impactful. And if you're calling us, there's a reason. Yeah. Right? And that's what was really profound about the job was it felt like we were doing something. We were helping in a really big way. And we were firing. For me, I was firing with Americans. So we had two Canadian guns and then we were at Fob Ramrod and it was Americans we were supporting or anybody within the certain um, proximity that our guns would reach or our mortars would reach. Okay. And so it was- What type of mortar system was it? Mortars might be one of my favorite, though. I, I don't Just love them. Just because it's... You don't love them? I love how simple it is and how dumb it is. It, yeah. I, I, it's a nail and a tube. It's That's all it is. It's super easy, for sure, but I think it was like the sights always intimidated me a little bit because they were more simplistic. They are. And that's that's what... And they're not super accurate, and they scared no, the shit not. out of yeah. me. Well, because they're... Ta- you have to, like, do... You have to, like, ride the plate the first round mm-hmm. and, like, all this stuff. And, you know, I, I did a few missions, like, just loading, like, call for fire missions yep. uh, or fire for effect missions, but... I don't, that's one thing I've, and I actually dropped rounds at Campbell, which was sick. There's a, a video it. of us in Texas I have on my, on one of our Instagrams somewhere in there, but it's our unit running guns, doing workup training down there. Mm. And it's just so, it's just so different because you get to go almost like compete when you're doing like a fire for effect. It's like, we're going to tell you when you're in training, like we're going to give mm. you like a 20 round fire mission. We're going to see who's going to finish it first. So it's, it's a really, yeah. yeah, it's just Hell competitive yeah. and I like it. I, I just like the competitive aspect. I like how hard the job is. Yeah. And I like how uncertain the job is. Yeah. You could just be like in the shower and then you just hear like fire mission and it's mm-hmm. like everyone runs. Like the amount of times I saw dudes running towels or just run out in like underwear and we're just like firing guns. It's, it's it's a great job. I it loved it. It is a great job. Yeah, I miss it. The everyday best job I ever had. I got to fire last year, actually, again. Um, I got brought in to Gagetown to do my last round. You okay. know, the Canadian military really fucked up when I got hurt and kind of like dropped me. They really said au revoir. Uh, they did say au revoir. Is that how you say it? Au revoir. Au revoir. Yeah, au revoir. All right. And, All my French uh, comes from Beauty and the Beast. That's Excuse where me. I figured. With Lumiere. the accent. Yeah. So I got to fire again and I got to... Um, I hadn't touched an artillery gun since Afghanistan. So I got to go out last year and fire the 105s. I've been invited back to go fire the triple sevens again um, and go do that. But you know, every time you pull that lanyard, it causes a little bit of a concussion, which I don't need any more of. So that's what's really, that's one of the things that's interesting is the New York Times just came out and did a report um, 
which I was like, you're shocked? They were like, the hidden dangers of artillery gunners. I was like, are you shocked? It's a cannon beside your head that shoots around. Yeah, that's, like, just, that's just stuff I don't even pay attention to. Uh, well, I saw it because I thought it was interesting because it was the first time I'd heard artillery be picked up in particular as like the the topic, uh, the, the, the position in the military. It was a surprise to me. It's, I'm, I don't want to be dismissive of it. No, for sure. But I don't have time for people to try and wash themselves clean in the blood of everyone mm -hmm. that's come before them mm -hmm. and say, I had no idea standing oh, next to big explosions yeah. was bad. Well, I see, had no idea that if we prescribed heroin to people, it was bad. It was going to be bad. I had no idea yeah. that if we didn't make a plan on the withdrawal of Afghanistan, it would be bad. Right. I don't have time for that that weird white nighting of like, oh, I, I had like, no. Like you knew, you just didn't care. So the Canadian military right now, they are turning people down for uh, traumatic brain injuries because- if you're not in a direct explosion, they're not counting it. So they've come out and measured all of the recoils off of every weapon that yeah. everyone uses. And now they're finding that, you know, standing beside a, a, a triple seven barrel is going to cause damage. Have they looked into leads, lead poisoning and stuff like that? Toxic exposures from all that stuff yet? No, I haven't, honest to God, I haven't heard much about that in Canada. I know you guys have a ton of it. I was talking to Pop Smoke and he was doing a lot of the exposure burn pits and all of the mm -hmm. stuff you guys have. Cause you guys were, I mean, the Americans were burning stuff right outside of our fob and that blew meters. my mind. That's it, 15 meters. Yeah, I was right beside it. I had no idea. Didn't yeah. think anything about it. Well, I knew it was bad then. I knew throwing batteries into a, a fire yeah. was not a good idea. Probably I knew burning not. plastic was plastic. not a good idea. All of, none, none of it was good. I, I, I wasn't like, oh, we'll be okay. But like, like it, doctrinally, I believe it's 50 meters and you have a burn pit and you have a, like a slit trench or like a hygiene area and all those things. But like- Oh, that was, uh, yeah, that was doing my last round. So that's my sergeant that I actually- Is that else camo? Yeah. I kind of like it. I mean, it's pretty sick. I'm so, obsessed with um, foreign um, camouflage right now. Yeah, our stuff's cool. So all of these guys that were on the gun that were shooting that day in Gagetown have never deployed. So they, it was really interesting because they've only really done last rounds with a few people and there are a lot yeah. of older people. Now this gentleman had deployed a bunch of times, but that sergeant there, he got me when I was 19 years old. He didn't speak English. I didn't speak French and we deployed together. And he's been, he's an officer now, but he has been one of the greatest dudes I've ever worked with, Sergeant uh, Mark LeBlond. He's out in Gagetown. Um, what is Gagetown? Is that Gagetown, like New Brunswick. So New Brunswick is the province. Gagetown is the base. Okay. So you have RCR out there. You have, uh, uh, I think it's W Battery. Um, Do you speak French at all? Uh, just a little bit. Enough to get by? Uh, yeah, I lost a lot of it. You were probably pretty sharp then, right? I was. I mean, I didn't speak any when I went there. Oh, we got, we were drinking at Sarge's house there. Um I can Man, hear him. Oh, Carlis. That's his beautiful wife. But what was really amazing is I hadn't seen him since our deployment. Yeah. And that's a bin. That was a, she's a gunner as well. We deployed. Um, she's an amazing human, but she helped me learn French and she kind of, she was pretty great. But yeah, that was uh, our lovely friend, Eric there. I was like, send me some echelon. So I decided to- uh, He's here. Actually, he's out of town this week. I know, I text him and I was week. like, I said to him, I was like, where are you at? And he's like, oh, I'm flying out the next morning. Yeah, he's- It's way down there, hon. I'm not sure where it is, but- No, man, I, I have to try to see Bartel at least once a week or else like we're just, we're all over the place right now. It's yeah. a busy season, but it's, okay. I mean, I have no complaints and- you Busy's know, good, man. You got stuff cracking. We're trying, we're trying. Giving it a real honest uh, college try. Yeah, but, but when you say you're, you're trying, no, you're doing. It's drastically well, different. No, it's just, I mean, I'm, time is the greatest commodity any of us have, mm -hmm. and I'm trying to make the best use of mine. 
Yeah, absolutely. So you're not trying, you're doing. Yeah. You're doing all of the things. Yeah. You're putting steps in motion. You're getting to the places you want to be because you're put. You're doing it. You're not trying to do yeah. it. You're doing it. It's words matter. Words matter. Words matter. Words matter. Speaking of words. Speaking of words. So you're in Afghanistan. What was it like? What was? I mean, I don't. I mean, you. I don't want to try. I don't. Yeah. I should let me it's preface hot. that. I don't yeah, I don't want to make this like always like war talk, but like yeah, yeah, I don't want to sure. truncate your service by any means. No, it's all good. I never want that to be that. But like this whole this is there's so much more meat on the bone outside of this stuff. You know For what sure. I'm saying? Yeah, 100%. But like I have these seasons in my life where I think about Afghanistan whimsically almost. Oh, okay. Um just in moments when I was like in the middle of nowhere and mm -hmm. the stars were closer than they'd ever been before. Yep. But then I was like, oh, the next day like the earth tried to the Kill earth me. was exploding. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but um like I, it's kind of real ups and downs yep. or like I think about moments I share with my friends or my my daughters being born and where I was and uh, what I'm being born while I was gone and things that happened. So I mean, just, I don't, I don't want to take away from that, but, like, I just want to give you some time to speak on that. Just, like, your your no, deployment sure. is, like... It sucked. It sucked? Yeah. I mean, it was great at the beginning. Uh, listen, I when I joined the Army, I wanted to be infantry. Yeah. You know, back when I joined, um, Canada has always allowed women to do combat arms roles. Um, yeah. That's been the way we've rocked. Uh, you know, the, the United States has started... Um, integrating women into your combat arms roles a little differently. 15, 16 is when they started to. Yeah, that was out, that was after me, yeah. yeah we did after. a little bit of stuff, but yeah. I, know, I know it's like all integrated now. Yeah, and so it's, it was really interesting to get, when it, when you got to work with another, another woman, it was like, oh my God, female. Ah. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I wanted to do that, but they told me I was going to be too small. So then I went to the guns, which, okay. whatever, ironic, I guess, the size. But, um, but I, I loved my job. I loved what I did. I loved who I worked with. But my deployment was different in the sense that when we went to Afghanistan, we knew we were going to be the only uh, two guns from that regiment going to an American FOB. Everybody else went to Canadian FOBs, um, which at the time it was French. So everybody was speaking French. Now, when I went to the American FOB, what worked out for me was I was speaking English. I could speak English to the guys from Texas and from all over the place and over yeah. the comms. But ours guys didn't speak a lot of English at all. So the dynamic was different. On your team? Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So unless you were an officer, you didn't have to speak English or French. You could just speak one predominantly. Isn't it kind of looked down on upon French culture to speak English? Yeah. When I went to Quebec, it wasn't a good spot. Why is that? Is it because it's like... <sighs> Quebec, one, I mean, Quebec, when they did the last vote, they were like 46% of the province wanted to separate from Canada. Really? Yes. Why? Quebec's a different duck, man. They're just different people. They're raised differently. They have different schooling systems. It's just a different thing. Feels elitist. A little bit, but I mean, it's the French, so it makes sense. Like that's that's like that's what I think of. I think of like French being like elitist. It can be. I mean, when I go to France and I speak Quebec French, they laugh at me and won't speak to me in French. They'll speak to me in English. So it's Quebec slang. Because you don't what like warrant proper French. Quebec's a slang French. Like if I go to if I go to France, it's like um, "Comment ça va? How are you?" I okay. go to I go to Quebec. It's "Ça va." Okay. It's just there's a proper way, and then there's the Quebec way. Mm. And so so anyway, when I went there, I was a I was a female walking into a male gun unit. Okay. And then I was also 19 and blonde and small, and I spoke English and I didn't speak the language. So it was the dynamic was different. There was a lot for me to prove at the time. I was the size of the round, so it was like, are you going to be a liability or are you going to be an asset? Right. Oh, but that everyone feels that. Absolutely. You think you felt more pressure internally or externally? Externally, as a female. Yeah, but the female stuff didn't bother me. I wasn't like one of those females. It was like, as you can tell. 
I'm either passionate or I'm, I'm loud or I have no issue saying my mind. Mm -hmm. So I was never approached in the sense of like, potentially being assaulted in that way because I was just too much of a problem to, to do to assault. Mm. I would, ju I just was just too much of a problem for you. And, and so I was fortunate in the sense that I didn't have that happen to me. Mm -hmm. I got like hit on and like creepy shit, all the stuff you get, but can't even par for the core, man. It's I par for the core. I knew what I walked into. I yeah, knew the job still, I was doing. I mean, but yeah, that doesn't warrant I know anything. it doesn't warrant it, but I'm also not going to sit there and be naive and be like, I had no idea that I was going to an all male unit. And then I was going to be like, look at that way. Come on. Enough, okay. enough now. We don't need to play the victim on that. Okay. I knew what I was stepping into. Why do you think you had that awareness? I was a fighter before that. Okay. Um, since I was four years old, I fought competitively in Taekwondo. I was a national champion by the time I was 12. Mm. I, I was in a dominant, uh, more aggressive A-type masculine, if you will, mm -hmm. um, before, and that was fine with me. And then I played competitive rugby. Um, I was a motocross racer. Like I just, I was more of a tomboy. I felt comfortable more with men than I feel with women mm. um, because I am so verbose and so like intense. It's, uh, I feel like men sometimes can handle it a little bit differently than women can. Mm. Um, and so when I went into, I knew what I was getting into. When we deployed at that point, I had done all my weapon systems in French. So I was a little more comfortable, but I didn't stay on the guns. So I went to the FOB. We were there for a couple months. I got borrowed. I got taken off of the guns to go with the British military. Okay. So the British military at the time were doing an operation that was kind of an all hands on deck and it was a it was a bigger op and they said they needed what you guys call as a CST, cultural support team. So a female searcher, if you will. Okay, we call them lionesses the one time I used them. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I'm learning Same thing, about- female engagement team. Yeah, they, female engagement team. They changed team. it, but yeah, yeah cultural support team. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I know uh, my girlfriend, Jack Scott, she's a female special operator, warrant officer, and she went downrange a ton of times and she's just got a bill that went to the Senate floor called Jack's Act that- that helps get mental health support for CSTs. Good. Um, so she's doing great things with SOA and that group, but that's where I kind of learned the word CST. I'd never heard it before. They just told me I was a female searcher. No, it's it's all news. It's all news to me because I, right. I I saw the very infancy of the program. Right. And they called them lionesses. Oh fuck yeah, yeah I love yeah. that. I, I like it too. It's I pretty, think it's way better. That's way cooler. It's yeah. way cooler. I mean, like, I also oh, the have lion, a the tattooed lion, on me. So yeah, tracks. I would get a line. I, I do so, have one. I have yeah. it right here. So yeah. it tracks. Like it's so. I'm gonna call that forever now. Thank do you it for that. But run with it. Oh, done. So no. I went with them. I got picked up. Um, by a by a Chinook and I got taken back to CAF and then I got dropped off with the uh, 3rd Scott Battalion and, and some of the Blackwatch guys. Mm. So I went with the Brits and we went out on an on-foot operation and I'm not trained to be infantry. Fortunately, my sergeant that you saw there was really smart and had been in combat before and was like, you know, on our days off, we're going to go do more advanced shooting. We're going to go do some house clearing. We're going to go do some stuff just in case mm -hmm. anybody has to be in that experience overseas worked out well for me because mm -hmm. I needed that or I would have got myself killed. So mm -hmm. I ended up going with the British um, and it just was a bad operation. Things just went sideways. Mm -hmm. Every time we were moving from house to house, it was just a firefight. I was told it was going to be chill. There's going to be no women and kids around. Turns out all the women and kids were around and they all stayed. Mm -hmm. So I would go into the rooms. I would take the women and kids, put them in a separate room and then it would be my job to search them on my own. So I'd be in a room with like six to 10 women and kids who were either crying, were high, who were violent, who were just terrified. And I would search them and I would have an interpreter stand on the outside of the door and a Brit stand on the outside of the door if I needed help or something went sideways. Yeah. Something Because only, only the women are allowed to- That's right. Only women are allowed to interact with women in their culture. Correct. Yeah. And to the point where it's like even young boys up to a certain age had to go in the room with me. Like 12, I think yeah, it is. Yeah. yeah. And so, and that was all fine. Um, I only had one really bad situation where somebody came at me with like these massive cutting shears, but you know, yeah. 
Dude, they're also terrified. Like, imagine you're just like in a in your house. And it's then terrifying. A, and then like the boogeyman shows up. You know, I think about that a lot now. Um, now that I have a child mm -hmm. as a mother, I yeah. didn't have kids. I was 19. I was like, whatever. Mm -hmm. But now I think about somebody kicking in my door and taking my son away from me and putting me in another room. Like there's no goddamn chance. I will come at you. You won't yeah. get my son away from me. Yeah. So I can, when I look back and I think about the way they reacted, it, it all makes sense. Right. But hindsight's 2020. Yeah. And I wasn't trained to handle what I was walking into. And then- You're talking about the difference between like you're on a gun line to like doing like, you're yeah. doing, yeah. you're doing raids. Yeah. Yeah. I was not- I didn't spend a workup training exercise doing raids. Yeah. So that was not my deal. I knew how to move and shoot. I knew how to clear a house because my sergeant was, like I said, he gave me the time. But that being said, we had some death and we had some IEDs and we had some shit and mm -hmm. close calls. And there was a one death in particular where I was there for body collection and I wasn't prepped for any of that mentally yeah. or ready for it. And it spun me out bad, like really, really bad. And mm -hmm. it was the moment I felt my brain break. Mm. like the light switch. I call it my light switch moment. Mm. It was like where I went from like empathetic and calm and like kind and like could see other people's pain to like everybody dies. I was just so angry because I couldn't understand it. Mm. And I could hear the ICOM chatter on the radio when it happened. Do you guys know what ICOMs are? Yeah, I haven't, yeah. Heard, I haven't heard anybody say that in such a long time. Yeah, I could, but I, I remember it because it's like burned. The enemy. I could, it was That's burned. We, yeah, yeah I, it was burned into my mind. Yeah, and I don't, I don't want to, you know, let's let's keep all the names and stuff out of it because uh -huh. it's, it's it's every you know that's I never say any names on anything just in general. But like this is your story, and I want mm -hmm. you to be able to tell it too. Yeah, it's just like look, these guys. A lot of them are named on the back of that book. Yeah, a lot of the guys yeah. I served with are the Brits I served with. Wrote amazing, beautiful reviews of that book for me, mm -hmm. and um, the guys that you know were in the really shitty situations with me, they're in there and. Yeah. They vouch for me. They're in there, and they're in here. They're in there, and they're in here. And they're, I'm seeing a couple of them in a few weeks. I'm really excited. That's but, awesome. But the whole thing is, is like that that part of my deployment with the Brits uh, ended up being the catalyst point to my medical release. Okay, so yeah. you're there, and you, you speak on something that like I've never really talked about publicly, mm -hmm. and um, I think there should be more uh, conversation about it, but like how the one thing we did right, and I think it's because of lessons learned, is you know the the support or the attachments that were dropped in on us. Mm -hmm. um, we tried to work with them as much as we could early on. Yeah. Because like me and my fire team, my rifle squad, we were, we were dialed. We were finely tuned. Mm -hmm. You know, I could I could see my point man if if he if it, like his if if like I saw his like arm drop a little bit, I was like, oh no, something's off. Something's happening. Right. Right. Because I used to tell him, you know, my second tour, I was a team leader and it was him and then me we were first team and then I became a squad leader afterwards um, just because of, we had to do a reorganization to the casualties and everything that had happened mm -hmm. um, but like I'd always say it's just you and me up here mm -hmm. it's just you and me up here whatever we're going to do is what we're going to do but um, the thing of like all of a sudden and it's it's not to any fault of you maybe it's something with the system but there has to be like a higher level of like integration or training because like you're like on a gun line and then now all of a sudden you're like in raids yeah it has to be terrifying. It, I because wasn't, like you're like on a ride yeah. and I know what I'm doing. And it's not that you don't know what you do. You, don't, you haven't different. done this with me. I haven't done it with that unit. I've done it with those dudes. Like I know I could go with, I know I could stack up on a, 
on like some of that, yeah some of it's kind of like you know they go left you go right little little yeah like little I knew I could yeah. not get myself shot in the back right I knew I could stack up and I'd be okay and I knew how to just move just don't and shoot. hesitate the one thing I always no. told people is you get to a door you keep moving yeah if you hesitate I'll push you through the door and Absolutely. use you as a shield <laughs> like yeah. you have to but like it's violence of action movement get out of the get out of the fatal front yeah. cross the threshold that's it they go left you go right whoever you look at the door as it lines up to the building you move boom 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 but you like know, I, sorry I, I just gave away every Navy SEALs <laughs> training program it's not that in, it's not that complicated bros. But it was, but that, that's a perfect illustration. I mean, I know the service now is doing a lot better to integrate women. I think they're doing a, I think they're doing a good job. I mean, and I all think it's roles, hard. not just women. No, yeah. no, no. But I think all roles in general, right? Like that's part of the problem is um, we kept it to a certain niche. And then if we needed outside, we just kind of dropped them in. And it in 24 hours, moved. 48 hours. I did a week with them. And that's it what was, I'm saying. Like, but like you, you were just like doing nothing. You're like, beep, 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 beep. Yeah, I'd never done. <laughs> I'm Kelsey, I speak French. And yeah. then like, you're like, ah, you're like and here's the, And you're going to love this. You're going to love this the most. So when I deployed, I was a no hook gunner. What does that mean? I didn't have a fucking rank. What is it? I don't understand what that means. Meaning like when you guys have like hooks and like rank. What is a hook? Like, okay, so ours is like, it's like meaning you're a private, you've been in for more than four years. Okay. Three or four years. I didn't have shit. I was in for a year and a half. So when they dropped me with this unit, my sergeant that you saw goes, she can't go with that unit. And they're like, why? And she's like, she's a, she doesn't have like experience outside the wire with people. Like you can't. So when they dropped me with her, all I was told was you're your boss. Okay. When you say stop and you see something go wrong, we're all stopping. Yeah. So it's like, I was given a level of, like squad leadership. Anonym, uh, nah, that's when I, I can't think of the word now. Anonymity? No. Autonomy. Yes. But I wasn't. Thank you, ketone IQ. There yeah. you go. Yeah. But no, but seriously, I, so that was a new, that was a new shock to my system. That was an experience I wasn't. And I remember like the first time we stepped outside the wire, we, we jumped off a of Chinook in the middle of the night and my mm -hmm. legs went numb and completely buckled underneath me. Somebody grabbed me by the back of my vest and picked me up. Because you'd never done that before. I had never done yeah, that before. No, it makes sense. Yeah. So my point is, is like, I did the best that I could with the training that I had. Fortunately, I was super physically fit because I just come from fighting into the military. It was dialed that side. Yeah. And I wasn't afraid to be out there. I was excited because that's what I wanted to do when I joined the military. Yeah, no, it's just, it's just- And this um, shit got real, real. It gets it very, very quickly. Yeah. Very quickly. Um, And it's this thing of like, we had dog handlers. We had, the thing that always terrified me is uh, we had interpreters and I always mm -hmm. imagined there was like walking around people I'd never met before and we would always have to assign like my radio operator or stuff. Yeah. But it's something that's not really talked about because like- in the Marine Corps, they say every person's a rifleman. That's not true. Like, it's just... It's, you do basic training as a rifleman, but that's about it. Yeah, but no one ever came to me and was like, Zach, do you want to work on this helicopter? No. <laughs> like, because I don't know how <laughs> no, to work on I this... Hel hel oh, but everyone's not a helicopter mechanic. Everyone's not, like, an aviation specialist. Right. Everyone's not a pilot. Right. Weird. Like, that's fine. <laughs> trade specifics. There, there, there are baselines. Of course. But there's trade craft. There's, like, uh, you know, what is it called? Uh, PME, uh, certain things you have to know about, like the reality of the job outside of just like basic knowledge. Yeah. And um, I don't know, there has to, we only did it really well a few times that we would just be like, hey, work with us. Like engineers are pretty cool. We mm -hmm. would integrate them as best we could, you know, because their whole goal is like look for bombs and minesweeping right. and stuff. And so they're just like, I hope they got good security because I'm, I'm standing up straight with a minesweeper or right. whatever it was. And so it's just, I don't know, it's a very, um, it's a very interesting experience you had. Yeah, and like the some of the guys I worked with, they would just tell me like, stick with the bomb dog, stick with the bomb dog, yeah. go where he goes. Yeah. And I was like, cool, Usually I'm with good. Benji the whole time. I'm rocking with him. It's good. Yeah, it's a good. good it spot was a to good be. spot to be. So 
my deployment was my deployment was quick and dirty and it was nasty and yeah. it was at the time in 2009 in the summer where things were just popping right well, the summers when it when it happens yeah, because of cultivation season. of poppy and yeah. the cultivation of heroin and so april to september is when i did yeah. um and then Ooh, that is popping mm -hmm, we There's, were popping in 2009 yeah. we were popping yeah and so when i by the time i got back to calf and um because i was involved <laughs> I know, dude. yeah. Calf, can we get some photos of Calf real quick? Pop um, the Tim Hortons up. Dude, pop the Tim Hortons Hort up. Pop that Tim My Hortons up. My first meal in Afghanistan was at Kandahar you're Airfield. You're welcome. Um, not, at, not at Tim Hortons. No, but just for the memory, you're welcome. No, dude, it's so funny because you go there and you're like... How you is have this, this a war zone? You have this idea of what Afghanistan is or war. Yeah. And you go to the boardwalk. And you go to the boardwalk? At Kandahar Airfield, there's a Tim Horton, a Subways. Yeah. I heard they built a Friday's. A green bean. A green bean. Green beans yeah. are everywhere. That's we had a ball hockey net. We had, um, I mean. Ball hockey. Oh, hockey without ice. Yeah, yeah. So we had that. I mean, I was at I was at CAF for very very short periods of time in and out. No, two weeks in, two weeks out. See, I didn't I, get that. Well, no, we we like landed, acclimatized, and we left. Yeah, that's what we did. We went yeah, off to the fog. Yeah, it's. I think it was altogether three weeks in the front mm -hmm. and the back, but you yeah. know, I, now I can sleep with airplanes anywhere. But um, absolutely, you can. No, so you go back to CAF and and then they did you have the resentment? Oh, you, you go to so you go to Kandahar. Yeah, I get you with the Brits. Go. You, we leave that night. But then you come back. Did you, my my first going, arriving in Afghanistan, being in CAF, mm -hmm. I was like, "Whoa, this is crazy!" But then when I came back, and like I remember eating like at an Air Force, like me and my friends, like we pushed our way into an Air Force Chow Hall. I, we didn't have our IDs or something lame like that. Yeah. And like you can't come in here, and I was like, "We're going inside." We're That's the now. end of the discussion. Yeah. <laughs> and like we walked in like animals. Fridays. But, yeah, there you it know, is. there it is. Yeah, we walked in like animals. Like literally pushed people out of the way. I put. Cokes in my pockets and stuff yeah. like they. There's in my the boardwalk. Oh yeah, my in, god! In my defense, they were very rude and stuff, and well, we had obviously just arrived. In. We had just arrived. Fair enough. But that was this palpable resentment yeah. I had towards them. I didn't have resentment. I was seeing their experience, and then what had happened to me. Yeah, I think it was when I got back. Like when I was to the when I got to calf, I was fine. Then we went up to the fob. It was fine. Cause we had a small fall. We didn't yeah. have a lot there. But then when we went back to CAF after everything went wrong with the Brits, I then had to go sit with the Brit MP and do a few days of written statements because yeah. of the, after the people. Yeah. Stuff, yeah. Well, no, it wasn't even after action. It was just because I was directly involved with human remains. Yeah. Yeah. And so I never got a, like a debrief or an after action or anything like that. And mm. then I was just sent back to my guys and you try telling a bunch of guys what just happened to you they're not going to believe a goddamn yeah. word you say. So for me, it was more resentment towards my own, my own people because I just needed it. I needed, I needed someone to talk to and I didn't yeah. have it. And then when I stopped sleeping and I stopped eating, they started to see that something was really wrong. And they sent me to the medic. They, once they sent me there, they're like, yeah, you're being, di I was diagnosed immediately. In and country. Then, in country. Then they sent me back to the guns when I was on 11 different drugs. Didn't tell my staff. They gave you drugs in Afghanistan? Oh, like fuck that? Yeah. And then I was running the triple sevens when I was on a ton of different meds I shouldn't have been on. Mm -hmm. And um, it just went kind of sideways. And then they sent me back to CAF and they're like, they made the final decision. She's like, she's going home. I went home, three, I think, three weeks early before the rest of my regiment. And I never saw anybody again. That was it? That was it. And then how long until they processed you out? This was, I got back in September. They fully diagnosed me, gave me that kind of like stamp of like, you're a broken human. And then um, I didn't hear from anybody for six months. And then they called me and it's like, we're going to try to retrain you at a range. Mm -hmm. And then about a year 
I was out. I was out in May of 2011. They med more to me out with a 3B med release, and I'm I'm sitting at 92 percent now. Is that you mean like your VA rating? Yeah, and stuff? yeah. They didn't retire. They didn't give you 100 percent, even though you were retired. Mm-mm. No. Interesting. We have to fight a lot for ours. So like, I've been. Yeah, but usually people that are medically retired are. No. No, they they med retired me on the basis of uh, post traumatic stress disorder, and then the hearing stuff came down the pipe, and they told me it wasn't service related, and then we finally got that overturned. Yeah, now we're working on the TBI stuff. So, but either way, like, look, I loved my job, I loved my deployment. It was hard and it was terrible, and I was 19 years old and I didn't know what the hell I was getting into or the repercussions I would have had for the rest of my life. But I wouldn't change a single moment. And I wouldn't change going out there with those guys. If they would ask me to go again, I would have went again. Mm. The only thing I was really needing was to not be separated from the people that understood what I just went through. And that's kind of what happened. And that's where I think the failure lied. Like Jocko asked me this, and I think it was the honest to God, the best questions anybody's ever asked me. No, seriously. It was okay, like, no, do ahead. you think you would have been okay if somebody just sat you down and said what you saw was normal, what you're feeling is normal and that it will get better in time? Nobody asked me that. And I just, I yeah, I, well, I but- believe that. There's a part of that though that makes sense, right? Because no, no, I do, I do understand that, and mm-hmm. I do, that is a really good question. Um, but in that moment, would you have been able to receive it? Yeah, because I was so desperate for anybody to understand what I just like went in through. like when you're in Afghanistan. Is that what you're referring to? Like, yeah, yeah. Because what happened is like the we landed back in calf. Yeah, Brits went one way, I went another way. Yeah, and I was by myself. Uh huh. You know, that's actually a thing that happens with the attachments too. Yeah. Do you know that? Jack's had it happen to her too and it yeah. really fucked her up as well. Like we just drop y'all off somewhere. And we're like, like see a peace, good luck. I remember when I w- we got rid of our engineers. We didn't get rid of them. We sent them back to their- <laughs> We didn't get rid of them. We, we sent them back to their battalion where right. they were. And I was just like, and they like, I got choked up about it. Yeah. Those dudes have been through it. And yeah. like, we still stayed, but I just remember being like, oh man, we really just changed their lives. Yeah. and Like th- that was not, not like me, but like it was- it. I mean, when my dog handler left, yeah, uh, Matt Albano, I love you, dude. When when uh, him and his dog left, like a part of me went went with him. I had all these photos. We gave my my mm-hmm. family sent the cookies for canvas and all this stuff. But like when she when they left, I was like, I don't know where he's going now. I didn't like it. I got because I knew it. I knew when he was with me, I was going to take care of him. Right. He was safe. Right. He was mine. Honestly. I felt, and we were going to take care of each other. And he had really, he had really earned his stripes too in a lot of ways. So, um, yeah, I felt dialed with those guys. I felt safe yeah. because I didn't have to, after everything happened and I sat there and you could see, I was just staring off into nothing. Like one of the guys would just walk up and be like, do you want to go for a walk on the boardwalk tonight? Mm. I'd be like, rock on, let's go. Yeah. The only time I really saw them after was during the ramp ceremonies when we were bringing people back. So it was just, I just kind of got dropped off into a group that couldn't understand. Yeah. And after that, it just felt lonely. And then that was the disconnect. And that the, was the disconnect that yeah, happened. And then yeah. that was where my resentment for the Canadian military happened for a little while. And that's completely understandable. Yeah. And I mean, it's better now, but I mean, it took a hard decade. <laughs> it's a cold, just a better, quick 10. Better than two. Yeah. And as soon as we're going to take, right. take another break. And as soon as we get back, we're going to talk more about that. Brass and Unity, your book and everything that's happening. Welcome. All things Kelsey Sheeran. We'll be right back. Absolutely. And we're back. So um, where we left off um, was you were you're now separated from the Canadian military. Yep. You're medically discharged. Yep. Stop me, of course. Ninety-two um, percent. I'm not thrilled about that. I don't understand why it wasn't. Whatever, everyone. That's that's mm-hmm. a whole other thing. But you're you're in um, you're in real danger, close area, mm-hmm. right now. That was when. 
That was when Zach was a nightmare. That was when I was a real nightmare. Um, in 2011, my first two, three years, you know, you, you start doing the things and they're supposed to do to help yourself and you find out that they're probably killing you. But mm-hmm. um, where were you then? 11? I mean, like, not 11, like when you're out. Mm. Like, what are you doing then? Uh, I got released on the 23rd and on the 26th, I was in Europe. So my in-laws took my husband, my, at the time it was just my boyfriend. We went to Europe for a couple of weeks, mm-hmm. which was an interesting experience coming back from that. And then yeah. just kind of going into full civilian world. It was a odd experience. Better than what I did. Yeah. Yeah. You had a. I went to Disney. Yeah. I literally went to Disney like less than 30 days after I was in combat. Yeah. It's a terrible idea. It was, I wanted to it's be. It's not advisable. The, it's not advisable. I don't regret it. I loved every second of it, but it yeah, was. Yeah, just because your family was there doesn't mean that you can't regret it. It just means that you shouldn't have been in a large public setting like that. It's, it was it was a recipe for disaster yeah, is what it was. Yeah, of course it was. But I was so overwhelmed with joy, and it is a magical place that we were able to navigate through it. Magical place filled with pedophiles, but that's okay. What's well, a good that. Um, no, it's. Fun. Yeah. It is. Um, it was fun. It was fun. Yeah. It's a different thing. I mean. I went into the civilian world and at that time I was just so drugged up, genuinely, like 11 different drugs at a hundred pounds was just terrible. Mm-hmm. I, I was a walking zombie. I didn't feel anything. I didn't have any sort of uh, expression that I was like, if anything, it was rage. Rage was the, yeah. was, the, was the thing for me. But it took a while. I mean, up till 2015, super suicidal, just really, really not good. I was in constant CBD therapy. I was in... Um, doing EMDR. I was kind of doing all the things I was supposed to do, including the meds, and it was just making me so much worse so fast. Can I ask you some questions about Yeah, treatment? absolutely. Yeah. Did, you, uh, did you like EMDR? No, I hated it. It didn't work for me. It doesn't work for some people. It works really well for others. No, I don't, I'm, not, I'm not throwing shade on No, on no, stuff. no. It works really well. I no, know a lot yeah, of people have I been just, very successful. I had the very, exact same experience. I was mm-hmm. just like, this is not it for me. Yeah, it didn't work for me. I think I did. I probably should, didn't do enough or whatever, but I did plenty. And I don't know mm-hmm. how many sessions I did. I, it was not what I was doing. Yeah, I did a lot of it and it didn't work. It only, uh, cognitive behavioral, behavioral therapy only started to work with me when I started working with a doctor named Dr. Passy. Well, that's the most best form of therapy, but it's also the hardest because yeah. you have to, you gotta, you gotta dig. Well, we were digging too. Like, don't get me wrong. When I got released, I moved. So I was, when I was released in 11, I was living in Ontario. And then what happened is, the guy I was dating was in British Columbia. So I upped and moved to the other side of the country. Okay. And we moved in with his parents while we were dating for about a year and a half so that mm-hmm. we could save up enough money to buy a house and all these things. It's cool. Yeah, they were amazing about it. Um, they had a big enough house where we had space and we had our own kind of vibe and that was really amazing. Very selfless of them. And then we decided to to buy a townhouse. We bought a townhouse, then we got engaged, then we got married. And at that point I was just numb. Like I was just existing. I was not living at all. Yeah. So I, uh, we got married and then from then on, you know, we had our, um, we got pregnant with our first baby. We lost our first baby that had its own complications. Yeah. Yeah. Miscarriages are one in three. It's, it's pretty standard. Um, it's not standard. That's it is. Hor- it is quite I mean, normal. No, I understand. It's, it's, it's still horrible. It sucked. Of course it sucked. But I mean, it's part of the process of, of trying to become a parent. It's like there's real realities to that. And because I was on the meds and things like that, I knew there was a part of that that I couldn't be pregnant with a child. It's just... So I started using cannabis. I got prescribed cannabis um, through the VA. And that was one of the medications I used to get off of the harder drugs that I was given. How does that work? What do you mean? 
Like they, what do they just prescribe you joints? Yeah. Do they, are yeah. they like pre-roll? Yeah. So what happens is they give you um, a prescription for a, uh, about a year. And then what happens is you get a certain amount allotted a day. So at the time I was allotted three grams a day okay. and I would go onto a website and I would okay. order it and then FedEx would bring it to my door in two days. And it was covered in how, the VA. How does how does it show up? You can just you can pick whatever you want. You can get pre rolls, oils, uh, edibles, dried. It didn't matter. You pick. Whoa. And you can pick from any of the dispensaries in Canada. And it's just straight from the VA. CBA. I don't pay. I don't pay a dollar. Wow. It's part of my prescription. So now- No, I'm, no, I'm just, I'm fascinated by the process. Oh yeah, it's yeah. wild. Like, and then FedEx would just show up at my door and I've got to know my FedEx drivers now through Brass and Unity so much that I literally, they would call me and be like, hey, I got your weed. And I'd be like, cool, just leave it in the house. That's what's up. And like, I would unlock the house with my phone and then they would just put it in because I trusted my guys so much. No, that's, that's how cool. often they were there. Yeah. So every 30 days I get to order and now I'm up to six grams a day. So it's hundred grams, 180 grams a month. Yeah. How's that going? It's a lot. Yeah. I don't always use it all every day and I don't, yeah. but I also use a lot of CBD because I have a, my, I've had 21, uh, yeah, 21 operations now. Um, and so I have a lot of physical body pain that's actually gotten a lot better using CBD and using a lot of these different therapies. But mm -hmm. um, at the time, you know, cannabis was the thing that got off me at the meds. And once I was able to think clearly enough, I was able to start doing art therapy. And that's where like the catalyst point changed everything for me. And my doctor was like, let's try art therapy. So I got a friend of mine to send me a box of casings from Ottawa, from mm -hmm. the range. For anyone who doesn't know, what a, what is a casing? Casing is like the, the casing that's with a bullet. You know, you see a round and then there's a little brass casing and that's these guys here. I don't know if you guys can see them because I don't know they what can. camera yeah, angle three. I'm looking at. But yeah, these are some of them, but um, they look like, brought you some. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. Uh, yeah, thank you. Yeah, I've sent them to you before. You still don't wear them, but that's all right. No, I have them. I have them. You just don't wear them. No, I, I, um. First, your excuse was, I don't wear bracelets. I don't wear, I don't wear. My, you have two bracelets on your wrist right now. We're not going to talk about that. Obviously. And then that's something my daughter gave me. Okay, well, whatever. That's, that's it. Whatever. That's literally it. But I do keep things like this around and yep. it's something I look at. I mm -hmm. have a different, I have a very different function with all these things. That's okay. But, um. That's the whole point of them though, right? Yeah, no. Is they're supposed to be a touch piece that, you know, it's the buddy Touch check. point, yeah. It's literally, it, I don't know, people used to have like, uh, wishing stones, whatever. Yeah. It's kind of the same sense. And that's so, what that thing is. So like, you know. uh, we started the company on my kitchen table and it was the thing that got me from being completely lethargic and, uh, not functioning to, starting a company, starting this business and, and growing it to the point where we were in over 200 retailers in North America prior to COVID. Um, we've donated half a million dollars. I've been able to, you know, upcycle, recycle casings. I've been able to get, you know, the fashion world and the rest of the civilian population to, to see what's going on in the veteran world by using a, a spent casing on a, on a paracord rope bracelet. Like yeah. it's a suicide prevention tool. Those ones, they're called the buddy check pack. The whole point is you buy a pack, you call a buddy, you save a life. Yeah. Because like you guys, like you said, we call, you know, we call on one, one or two days a year. And it's like, well, when you call your buddy up and you want to start that hard conversation, you just give it to him. Like you can call me anytime. It's kind of just like a cooler version of a, you know, a best friend bracelet, but it's a reality thing. Like these things work and we've seen them work. We've sold over 20,000 of them in two years for a reason. They have an impact. We have a deal with boot campaign where we have the You Matter bracelet, which is really important to me. Yeah. We have a deal with Support Our Troops in Canada, which yep. is the yellow ribbon. Um, they come in those as well. And and my whole thing is like, you can, you can heal, you can heal. I just used art therapy. I used physical fitness. Um, I used a lot of different modalities, but physical fitness, you know, movement was really important. 
getting my internals dialed, meaning checking my blood work every three months to know where my hormone levels are at and everything because our hormones and our bodies, and like I told you before, Gary Brecka spoke about this. I'm so glad he did is, you know, methylation pathways about how our bodies work yeah. on the internals and um, and then purpose-driven purpose driven life. Yeah. So for me, brass and unity became my purpose in this life. And I will continue to do it until the 44 stop, which is inevitably going to climb and we know it is. And so- I really just want my friends to stay alive. And when I used to do interviews with like fashion magazines and things, I would have to explain them like, well, why do you, why do you, why are you so passionate about your business? I'm like, I don't make any damn money. I just want my friends to stop killing themselves. Yeah. I don't feel like that's a hard request to ask. And if the rest of the world got their head out of their asses and saw that people were struggling, we wouldn't have the problems we'd have. So I just do it in a really non-traditional way. And we do it through my company. And that's kind of my shtick. And then we co-branded the book, Brass and Unity, the podcast, the Brass and Unity podcast. And then the brand is Brass and Unity. That way it's just cohesive across the board. You Google Brass and Unity and something will pop. Continuity. Continuity. I love continuity. I know. I, I think it. ahead. Yeah. You think ahead. Think ahead. Yeah. It's very obvious you think ahead. Yeah, we try. You have to. You have to be intentional with your... You know, words matter. I've been saying it for a while. Oh, have you? Words matter. I didn't say that at the beginning. Boss, dude, don't... Come on, man. Yeah. <laughs> Boss back there. Yeah. You're chirping me out, dude. Yeah, come words on. matter. They no, do. No, words matter. Um, I want... So I know I know more than most, mm -hmm. right? Um, so this art therapy, you started it, yep. right? This is... I want you to tell the story about Kevin Hart. I want you to tell the <laughs> Kevin Hart story. It's one of my favorite... Okay. Beautiful, heartwarming. So I don't want to take. Too, I don't want to say anything yeah. else. Tell a story about your mom and Kevin Hart. This yeah. is tier one stuff. So I was really listen. Like uh, again, I, I kind of have this thing where I if somebody says like, "Hey," I'm like, "I want you on the podcast." They're like, "Yeah, yeah, call me in a year. I'll call you in a year, and then I'll call you every month until you say yes." Like I'm, I'll hustle my way to where I need to be. I'll either annoy you to where you block me or you'll eventually just cave and say yes. Okay. And so this is kind of how my mom works. Yeah. Um, you learn, you come by it honestly. I come by it super honestly. Yeah. Because my mom said can't's not a word. So yeah. then if I can think it, then I can do it. So yeah. she was driving for Kevin Hart's What Now tour. Um, this was way back in, I think, 16, 17, uh, 16. And- um, Your head was, I mean, your hair was red. Red, yeah, my yeah. hair was red. Yeah, I was a little less angry there. And uh, she was like, you know- uh, Kevin, we're coming to Vancouver. And I was like, okay. And she's like, I'm going to get Kevin to meet you. And I was like, cool, mom. Cool story, bro. She's a truck driver. She just drives like his equipment around to each stop. But yeah. She would stop him. And huge like, tour. Huge tour. The amount of trucks that were on that tour were insane. Yeah. And so she goes like, she would go up to him and be like, you need to meet my daughter. You need to meet my daughter. And you would, yeah. he would just be like, okay, Kath, like, cool. Yeah. But she's like, no, you need to meet my daughter. She's a combat veteran, da, 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 da. Yeah. And then finally I get this call and my mom's like, hey, we're on our way to Vancouver. I got you tickets. Um, I'm going to try to get Kevin to meet you after. Bring gifts. I was like, rock on. Yeah. At the time though, it wasn't called Brass and Unity. As you can see on the tag there, it was called Her. And so when I started the jewelry company, I did not try to have a jewelry company. You got to understand, I was literally looking for a way to like just feel better and just like donate to charities because I couldn't run a nonprofit. Because you're doing your art therapy and it's kind of developing, right? It's just doing its thing. It's just developing. It's just developing. Yeah, no idea is really fully formed. Until no. You're, I always say like planes are made on the fly. Yeah, yeah. And that's kind of how it was. Yeah. And so my husband, who's got a couple successful companies, who's been really good at, you know, growing entrepreneurial, um, from an entrepreneurial perspective, he was kind of like, I think there is something here. And so- I started building this stuff. And so Kevin finishes his show. It was absolutely hilarious. And then I just see his bodyguard, his main bodyguard, just 
looks at me and my husband, points at us, and is like, does one of these hand gestures. That's, that's and it. And I was yeah. like, oh, yeah. shit. Yeah. So we go backstage and it's literally just like, you see those two women in the back there and yeah. they're just kind of hanging out. And then it's my mom, my husband, Brady, and and Kevin walks up. Yeah. And he's like, hey. And I was like, oh my God, we're the same height. Yeah. Um. So I couldn't handle that. And I like wrote a joke in one of the cards. And then as soon as he, I saw him, I was like, oh, I shouldn't have wrote that joke. But he used to do the show called The Real Husbands of Hollywood. Yeah. Where he called everyone a Mitch, a yeah. male bitch. Yeah. And so I was like, I made a joke in the card about it. And <laughs> I couldn't. You made a joke to I made Kevin a joke Hart. To Kevin Hart, and yeah. um, and I, I was like, look, he's like, it's nice to meet you. I'm like, yeah, you too. I'm like, I know you're busy and stuff. We'll make this quick. But I was like, I made a joke in that card, and now I'm regretting it a lot right now. Yeah. And he's like, do you want me to laugh if it's funny, or do you just want me to not laugh if I don't think it's funny? I was like, you do you, bro. Mm -hmm. So he does it. And he goes, huh, Mitch. Like this, yeah. and I was like, huh, huh, okay. Yeah. He goes, tell me about what this is, and I was like, talking to him about it. And he goes, look, it's dope. I'd wear it. I'll wear it. I got no problem with it. He goes, but here's the thing. You got to change the name. Yeah. And I was like, why? And he's like, because I couldn't, I wasn't thinking like ahead yeah. or like large you're meeting scale. Ke you're meeting Kevin Hart. I'm meeting Kevin Hart. You're, you're just, basically pitching an angel investor. I pretty much, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah, like, yeah and yeah. I was like, uh, he's like, because if you want men to wear it, you can't have it called her wearables. And I was like, Fuck. Yeah. And yeah. so I was like, God damn. And he's like, yeah. He's like, but look, he yells at his buddy down the area and he goes, yo. And I was like, Happening. He's like, remind me, we gotta tweet it out. We yeah. gotta tweet it out tonight. And I was like, no, you don't worry about it. You don't have to do it. And he goes, we're gonna do it. And I was like, okay. Yeah. So we talked for a little bit longer, asked me a little bit about my story. Basically just gives me time. He gave me like 10, 15 minutes of time, which- Invaluable. That's super valuable. I was like, can we get a photo? He goes, absolutely. Send it to me. I'll tweet it out. So then we're driving home. We're going over the, um, I think it was uh, one of the bridges. And like, I'm just like on Twitter. I barely use it. And I'm, he's like, Kevin Hart tweets it out. And I was like- what the fuck is happening? Yeah. yeah. And um, and then after that, I just started taking risks, like big time. Started taking big risks. I went to a trade show. I didn't have a ticket for. I didn't have a booth for. With a backpack full of samples, walked in, found out uh, needed a booth, couldn't be there with just samples. <laughs> and I would stand in the hallway. This was yeah. in Las Vegas. This is called Magic. It's one of the largest fashion ones of the year. Okay. And I mean, that's a bummer. I thought there'd be magic. There. I know, right? Yeah. And I stood in the hallway and I would stop retailers and I would sign accounts. Look like buyers and yeah. stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, that were there in the jewelry section. Anyway, we went to dinner that night and I was pregnant with my son Jack. And uh, they're like, we went to Carbone in the Aria, and I was like. Do you have a table? Like, no, we don't have any tables. Wait, we've got one table. There's two people that you can sit there. We got 45 minutes to be in and out. And I was like, right. cool, I'll, I'll do that. Sat down and these two guys sit down beside us. And I'm like looking at them and I'm wearing like, when I say I'm wearing like a row of casings, like I'm wearing like all of them. And they look and they're like, what's that? They you gotta just be leaned terrifying. Over. Oh. To a bunch of fashion people, you're pregnant and you got a bunch of bullets on your arm. I know, it was yeah. just a vibe, man. Yeah. And they're like, let's, you know, we're in business and stuff and we might have some people we can connect you with. Like, let's meet tomorrow. So I was like, rock on. So we meet the next day, come to find out one was, one of the guys was married to Jesse Tyler Ferguson from Modern Family. Okay. So they're like, we want to help you. And I was like, okay. So then like a couple months later, I get a phone call and they're like, do you want to work with Beth Bears? She's from the, at the time it was two, uh, the two broke girls, tall blonde. Okay. And I was like, cool. And um, so I started working with Beth and we designed a necklace and a bracelet. And we donated money to her sexual assault foundation. Um, and uh, we did that for a little bit. And then I got another phone call and they're like, can you get us 400 bracelets to LA in three days? And I was like, why? They're like, you're going on Ellen's 12 days of giveaway. And I was like, 
uh, yep. So literally all my neighbors came over and helped me package because I make these bracelets by hand. Yeah. So we're like stringing beads and I'm like cutting casings with like a pipe cutter and I'm like hammering them, we're stringing them up and they're putting them in the packages and we're just sending them. We're just like awesome. across the border. Like, what do you got? Nothing. Yeah. Go to the UPS so yeah. I don't get stuck in customs, send them out. And then I wake up the next day and I'm watching my stuff on Ellen and I look over and Ellen's wearing a bracelet and it was just a trip. It was- Everything's happening at it just, once. It just all started to click, man. And it all happened in a way that I didn't anticipate. I didn't, it's not that I didn't try. It's just like, yeah, there's Beth and I right there. She's got her green one on. And that's that bomb dog I told you about, Benji right there. Yep. Um, yep. But that, you can see I was just newly after having a baby. You can see how thick I was there with Beth. Um, but I just, I just tried. I just kept putting globe. myself forward, putting my brand out there. And I knew eventually people were going to get it or they weren't, but I knew that if I could help these organizations and if I could give them funding, then hopefully I could do my part as a civilian now. And that's the only way I knew how to do it was would just show up and- Social entrepreneurship. I shook the fashion world a little bit because I walked in with a bullet casing and we got nominated for awards under Fashion with Impact um, with the CAFA, which is Canadian Art and Fashion Awards, which is the biggest fashion like- show that they have. And then next thing you know, we were, you know, we were on all these different shows. Uh, Julia and Huff started wearing it and she was posting about it. Uh, Michael Buble started doing that. Jesse Tyler Ferguson started wearing it. And it just kind of did this organic kind of, and it, it took off and then COVID happened and we went from being a retail business to a online business completely. And now we ship we work with the Canex, which is the PX in Canada, um, and we ship product all over the world, and we donate twenty percent of the net proceeds to organizations in America and Canada and Australia and the UK, and that are helping veterans. That's all. They're all veteran and first veteran first responder focused because yeah. I believe that our first responders do not get their due and they don't get the support they need, and mm -hmm. they are a big a big community that needs that needs help. And so I try to work with the organizations where like they'll open their books to me, they'll show me what their dollar goes to, and yeah. those are the people I work with. I mean, it's one of the things I like so much about Boot Campaign. They do yeah. uh, two audits a year, yep. independent audits. Yep. Others barely Those are the do active that. ones there. Yeah. Um, they mimic the original, you can see to the left there, the beaded bracelets. Those were the original ones I built on the kitchen table. Yeah. Um, and yeah, that's why I love Boot Campaign. They, you know, in America, I support a few organizations, Boot Campaign, Defenders of Freedom, Heroic Hearts Project, Vet Solutions. Um, and I believe these people are making a change in America and on a lot of different fronts. And then in Canada, I support Honor House. And mm. so I just did a TED talk on behalf of Honor House last week, which was- it's incredible. Which was an honor to be asked to, to talk because it was the very first organization I ever donated to. Mm. So it was like this full circle, kind of moment for Simulation me. Simulation continues. Mm -hmm. yeah. It continues, right? It's, so It's those weird moments where you're like, I don't know if it's supposed to happen, but it yeah. is. Yeah. And, it, and it does. And I mean, that's kind of how you and I met. Like we met online and yep. um, I knew about you through the cardboard signs like everyone else yeah. did. But it just, you know, I reached out to you and you were always very uh, empathetic and willing to talk and have conversations. You were very supportive. Anytime I ever call you to be like, hey, this is who I'm looking to work with and who, like what I'm trying to do. Is there anybody you can hook me up with? And you've always been like, hey, what can I do to support you? How can I help? And yeah. those are the people I surround myself with. And mm -hmm. if you're not one of those people, I just don't surround myself with you. I'm real, real picky. Like you said before, time is a commodity and I don't have a lot of it. Well, no, no one, no one does. And it's foolish to think that you do. I mean, my whole thing is I feel like we, everyone can eat and we can all have plenty. Rising tides. Yeah. But like our community is just overwhelmingly, um, against that. That's and why so, I said that to you at dinner last night. It's yeah. like, I'm, I'm always going to be 
Like if, if you, you know, from a veteran perspective, I'm always going to be the one beating the drum. I'm going to beat the drum as hard as I can until everyone stops deciding that they don't want to be on the face of this earth anymore and they would rather leave because I don't believe they need to. So I'm always going to be beating the drum and supporting our veterans and first responders and all my organization and everything I do is always going to go back financially to that community. But mm -hmm. what I do now and what I'm attempting to achieve and the space I'm, I'm growing into is a little more veteran adjacent rather than just veteran focus. Mm -hmm. And so I'm hyper, I'm hyper aware that I am not my service and my service is not me. And I am somebody that can grow from that. And I've been an entrepreneur for nine years Yeah. and now I'm a keynote speaker and I'm a psychedelic integration coach because I believe you have to adapt or die. You yeah. have to grow. Yeah. And that's my hyper focus now. And that's why I came up with the book when I did because- The book right here. Yeah. And I, Boom. it's one of the, if not handful, if there is even a handful of female veteran- books with the GWAT war. So I think there's one I know of mm -hmm. besides this. And it was written by an, uh, a Marine officer. Yeah. Yeah. And she was part of the, uh, the, the lioness vet teams. I don't, I don't yeah. know what they call them. So please, yeah, yeah no, it's please, all good. Please inform me, but I know what we called them then. Mm -hmm. And, uh, she wrote a book about that. I mean, it, it, it is very singular. Yeah. Maybe the, or because I didn't have anybody to read. I didn't have like a, Anybody I felt like I could connect with or read their book and be like, yeah, I get it. Like that helped me see that speaks, something. That speaks to me. Yeah, y I didn't yeah, have yeah. that. And it's not that I'm some special person. It's just, I'm just somebody who put pen to paper. It's, yeah. it's really that simple. Yeah. You knew me when I was going through this process. It was a frustrating process. It's a, no, yeah. it's a lot of work. It's a lot of effort. But I believe if it can help one person, just like the bracelets, it helps one person. I'm I'm, I'm cool with it. Well, yeah, I mean, that the, the goal is is to make things that you're proud of. And I, yeah. I, you know, most men live quiet lives, desperation. That's a saying I keep thinking about and a moment that's always in my head, actually, uh, because people, everyone thinks they're not living the life of quiet desperation, but I, I think even more, we as people may be more of the fact that maybe we are. There's right? my doctor right there. Yeah. That's Dr. Passy. He's the <laughs> guy who changed my life. That's awesome. Yeah. He was at my office opening. That was my the time I opened up my buildings there. Um, it's incredible. Yeah, he's a great man. But it's true. You can you can do things in the world, but you have to be willing to take the risk. And the risk often comes with being judged. Yeah. Um, and so I am just willing to be judged. I'm just willing to be critiqued and pulled apart and, and called and told and, you know, yada, yada, blah, blah. I don't really give a shit because I learned a long time ago, a couple of years back when I had some stuff happen that like, you haven't lived my life, you don't know me, you're not in the room with me, then I, your opinion doesn't matter about me because I know as long as I'm doing my best to help others, I'm cool with everything that comes with that, the good, the bad, the ugly, the happy, the all of it because mm -hmm. I put myself out there and that's what I wish more people would do. Mm -hmm. Just put themselves out there and be be willing to be critiqued, be willing to be um, spoken about whether it's positive or negative because ultimately you can have impact on anything you do. You could be an incredible landscaper incredible landscaper. You can scale that shit. You don't have to have a huge business, but your entrepreneurial skills translate. They matter. The journey to get there matters. If we were so open and willing about talking about like some of the greatest things in our lives, why aren't we willing and open to talk about the hardest things in our lives? Because that's where the growth lies, the uncomfortable parts, the discomfort. If you lean into that, that's where you're going to find growth. Hmm. That's why people shy away from it. I just wish more people, whatever it is you do, I wish they would try to be the best version of themselves or be the best at that job and then share that knowledge. It doesn't matter what the job is. Yeah. I don't think 
See, what you're talking about, though, is, is you're asking people to be brave, and I don't think everyone wants to be brave because you have to look yourself in the mirror a lot, and you have to make a lot of radical changes. I mean, everything that's led me and you here to this point put me in a place where it didn't feel good for a long time. Of course. But I, my main motivations are time and desperation associated with that, which is that, like, I have the distinct pleasure, unlike most people we know, is that I have had real, normal, American-ass jobs. Yeah. Like, I have been in the belly of the beast. I've been in corporate America. I've yeah. been in Zoom calls and all those different things that people... And so, like, I I have this fear one yeah. day that I'll, I'll, like, lean back like this and I'll wake up and I'll, like, be at a, at a cubicle that I used to sit in that had a noise machine over it yeah. so that you felt more at peace and calm there. Yeah, mediocrity. That, it, w- yeah, well, it's not so much mediocrity, but, like, that's not my happiness. Yeah. That's not my thing. But I have a fear that all this will go away. Like, the things that I'm doing, the, the pride, the, 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 um, the love, the care and, and concern I have for the things I'm doing now will just be ripped away from me because that's what I was looking for. Mm. That was what I was desperate for. To me, forever to figure that out, but that's what I was looking for for such a long time. But that's the difference with you and everyone else is you were willing to continue the search. Yeah, but it took a lot of it took a lot of ego breaking, and it took a and lot of should. humility, and it took a lot of people um, seeing what they thought I could be and not what I was. A thousand percent. But I think that's what happens in our community, right? Is we hold on to this story of ourselves from a point in our lives and we don't allow ourselves to progress because we think that maybe that'll be the greatest thing we've ever achieved in our life. But it's not. It's just the stepping stone. It's just the part. Well, I think we lionize and over um, overvalue like time and combat to a point to now people have built legitimate business models out of it. And no, I'm, for sure. I'm and not a fan of that. Yeah, no, and I, I don't disagree. And I think that's why I... I think I did something so drastically different than the military when I got out. Like I built jewelry. I just stepped into the fashion world. Like there yeah. was... It was just the... Comp- Thank that's you, dude. Boy, dude. Thank you. But that's that's I, a big cosign. I know. I, yeah. I I feel very honored. Thank yeah. you, man. I feel very honored. And you know the the cool I mean, thing it has is flawless like flawless fashion to it. it. Bothers the fuck out of me how good Blas looks. That's all, all right. That's like, okay. We went to an event. I was like, damn, Blas is really pulling shit off. I couldn't. I would never have the fucking audacity to do. Bro, you gotta. Sometimes you just gotta get out there, and you just gotta. You gotta put yourself in a position to be uncomfortable. Like, I don't know if you saw. I did a. Um, I did an event like a couple weeks ago where I'm just wearing like the most loud outfit I possibly owned. It was like every color, the brightest thing cool. ever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, the, um, white with, is that, is that something? It's like of? red and yellow and orange. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah you were at like the obnoxious. book signing thing or whatever? I was doing a book yeah, signing yeah, yeah. and I was doing a keynote. And the thing that I, the reason I do that is like I went to parts of my life where everything was like, as I'm like wearing right now, like, my outfit today matches what my soul was, right? I was just so dark and dead inside mm. for so long. And what I realized is I just want to be, I want to be a better version of myself. And, and sometimes that means getting out of my comfort zone and just- There it is. Which went, oh yeah, there's there's the pink one there. There's some bright colors there, but it's like, you would never have caught me wearing any of that before. <laughs> you would never like, you know, you just never would have caught me doing any of that. And I did it because it's like, you can be multifaceted. You can be a different person, but you got to put yourself out there. And so I decided if I'm going to put myself out there, I'm going to be as bright and fluorescent and my my soul's going to shine through. And yeah. it's because I'm not dead inside anymore. I learned yeah. how to move through my trauma. I use it as a growth point. I use it as a lesson. And I frankly think it's a strength. Our combat... The stuff that we do, we don't see it as a strength at the time. But if you 
If you view it as that, I promise you it will be that, but you have to change the perspective. You got to change the fucking tune. You can't be the person who bangs on the drum about suicide all the time. No one's going to listen to that. You got to be the person that brings the levity to it and then bang on the drum so that what you do finally say the important thing, they listen to you. Yeah. And that's why I, that's what I spoke about on the TED was mm -hmm. I start with what does the number 44 mean to you? Mm. And then I count for seven days mm. and I talk about, from the day I started writing that speech, the day I gave it, it'd be 1,584 people would have taken their lives. Mm. And it works because I shock the shit out of the system. Mm. I'm not gonna show up and just be like, let me tell you about why it's sad that people kill themselves. No, I'm gonna tell you about the impacts of that and how many people that touches and the fact yeah. that your father's not gonna be there to walk you down the aisle that day. And there's no one's gonna be at your graduation. Mm. So I think that you can do things with your service. You have to just, you ha can't make it all of you. Yeah. There has to be more, you have to grow. Why don't people do more of that? Growth is uncomfortable. Growth mm. is uncomfortable and people do not like to be uncomfortable. It's that simple. Mm. There's an identity that you wrap yourself around, right? But you gotta realize that you're more than that. You're not the job you do. You are the person who wakes up in the morning. You are the person who shows up. So who is that person gonna be? Is it gonna be the person who's hurt and that's covered in trauma and that doesn't wanna work through it because their identity is wrapped around it? Because mm -hmm. there was a moment in therapy when I was sitting there and he was like, how are you doing? I was like, I'm, I think I'm okay today. But then I felt shame for feeling okay. Because I'm like, if I, if I feel okay, does that mean that I forgot everything that happened and all the people I lost? Does that mean that their lives weren't worth it? Talking like more like survivor's guilt Yeah, at that point. like that was yeah. a huge thing for me. So it took a, survivor's guilt was a real, real for me. Do you think grief is, um I want to say phases. I always think it's like a circle. I believe there's a start and an end point to it, but I, I think- I don't think it ever ends. No, that's, no, no. That's my an thing. end point in the sense of like where it can, it affects your like every waking minute. But I think there's a healing point where you can have it. Yeah. You can, you can still grieve. Like when I, when June 11th comes around. Okay. Which is one of our days for me. Okay. For like six years, I would just be in bed those days. Yeah. And I would just cry those days. Yeah, yeah. And instead now those days look like I'm going on a hike. Mm. I'm gonna go swim in a lake I this never got to yeah, swim yeah, in. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I'm gonna, the whole time, I'm just gonna think of those memories. I'm gonna think of those people. So I'm gonna tell you- That's, what, that's what I'm talking about, the circle. Like yeah. I, I think it it never, you're on this path. Oh, you mean like that? Yeah, 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 for so sure. So here's, here's what I think grief is. It's like this, it's like, you'll always be on this path mm -hmm. because you're connected to them. There's Absolutely. people that you love, but you'll always be on it. And some days you will like be in the bed, some some years, yep. some moments, some times. Like, you know, I, I, I'm I not going to talk about all of it specifically because mm -hmm. I just don't want to. But like there are little things I'll do or like moments where I go to call someone or uh, they're not there mm -hmm. and I can't call them or like, you know, I can't communicate with that person because they just, they just don't live it. They're not alive anymore. Mm -hmm. And uh, that'll catch me. And then that sometimes that moment is, it used to be, it used to be um, scornful. It used to be painful. Mm -hmm. It used to, it used to feel like someone was standing on my chest and I yeah. couldn't breathe. Now, um, I'm on this path now where I've gotten, I've kind of worn the road a little bit mm -hmm. and it's a little weathered to where it's like, oh yeah, I miss them. That's okay. I love them. Yeah. And I'll, I'll do something different today. You yeah. know what I'm saying? A thousand percent. I, that's, that's what I felt. Oh man. I fucking love Bloss. Grief I've learned is really just love. It's all yeah. the love you want to give, 
but cannot. All that unspent love gathers up in the corners of your eyes, mm-hmm. the lump in your throat, and the hollow part of your chest. Mm-hmm. Grief is just love, love with no, no place, place to, to go. go. Yeah. That's true, though. Damn. Because you love it. You just, you care. Yeah. And it's okay to feel that, too, though, right? Like, you got to feel those things yeah. in order to move through them. And I'm like that with, um, there was an American guy I served with, mm. um, and he died on his last appointment. And it was the one right after ours together. And he had a thing with Coca-Cola. Okay. When I was over there, the guys weren't allowed to have soda because you were only drinking soda. So they were passing out outside the wire. So they were not allowed to have soda anymore for a little bit Okay. at our fob. Okay. But we could have it. But you guys have a Liguchi kit. And I wanted your Oakley's. Okay. So we made this deal, Gould and I. And when we would do laundry, we would... We would do laundry at the same time, and then we would listen to the Dane Cook comedy album. Oh, my God. Yep. This is early 2000s. Bro. So we would listen to the Dane Cook comedy album. You're hanging out at the BK Lounge. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. And um, I would bring him cans of Coke, and he would trade me Oakley's, and that was our thing. Mm -hmm. And then when he died, um, I don't drink soda at all. But every year on, on his anniversary, I'll crack a can of Coke, and I'll have some of it. And... I still miss him and I still think about him. And when I hear Dane Cook, it like brings me back. But I think about like, it's totally making me emotional, sorry. Um, but I think about him in the, in the way that people would want to be remembered, not in the way that I allow my grief to remember them. Yeah. And I live that life. I live that life they, that they would kill to be here to live. Yeah. And that's why I do the amount of things I do and why I go as hard as I go and like why... Like you said, like sometimes you come in hot. Yeah, because I'm passionate about life, about everything I talk about. I have I come with an energy. No, dude, I think I think we all have our our things, dude. Yeah. I mean, like, and but that's 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 a palpable, palatable. Yeah, uh, it's palpable. Yeah, like, and I I appreciate that about people, you know. I know it's it's hard it's hard for a lot. Like my girlfriend Alana Stott says to me all the time, she's like, "You're a hard nut to crack." I don't think so. You are. She. It, you are. She's like you're. You're. You're either going to rub people the wrong way immediately, or people are just going to fall in love with the energy. And it's like the difference is, is like I live this life the way I live it and the intensity that I live it because I know that I know how quick it goes. And yeah. so that's sometimes hard for people to wrap around, but it's always from a place of like intense love and care. Yeah. Because I, I like swung the other way where I was so numb and I was so dead inside to like the opposite. Right? Yeah. It's, it's just. You love to care, right? Yeah. Yeah. You love to care. Mm-hmm. And that's why you've written, so you're doing all these amazing things. You've got this amazing book. What's next? Can you talk about all the stuff that's coming down the pipeline or no? I, I mean, some of the stuff's coming out. So I've got um, I've got an episode uh, with John Bernathal and the real one's coming out. Just waiting for the release date on that. Yep. The um, Punisher. The Punisher, yeah. Still hasn't called me yet, John. The comms are John. open. You follow me on Twitter, dude. Let's just make it happen. We'll make that happen. Um, I head over to London to do trigonometry with Francis and Constantine. In a couple I'm of weeks. excited about that podcast, actually. Yeah, I, you're, you're, you're telling me about it. And yeah. I, I've never heard of it. It's an incredible show. Um, I had the TED will be released in the next few months. Um, I just did my first keynote at Harvard. That was a big deal for me because I'm just trying to change up what I do. Um, you're really pushing boundaries outside of the community. Big time. I'm really trying to. And... Um, you know, it was option for a TV series and the strikes are over. So now was? the book. So the book was option for a TV sh- series. Yeah, That's feature awesome. film or, Steve, or a TV series with uh, one of the actors from Band of Brothers, Neil McDonough. So yeah. 
we're just, now we're just at the point where I just, it's not my, I don't understand that world. So I'm just kind of riding the wave and seeing what happens with it. Otherwise, you know, I've got my, you know, my passion is uh, I'm a psychedelic integration coach with Heroic Hearts Project. So I work with clients to get them ready with medicine. Um, I've really leaned into the coaching because I believe that's where the healing lies. And uh, I have my podcast, which I'm incredibly passionate about. And we release episodes every week. We've been going for three years now. We talked to some of the biggest hitters you've been on the show. Um, biggest hitters and then I brought it down, but yeah. Yeah, you, you brought it down a little yeah. bit. We'll bring it back up. Yeah. But, uh, you know, I think the podcast is, is pretty great in my opinion because I bring a different energy to it than a lot of the guys in the space do. And uh, we talk to all types. It's not just military at all. And it's about resiliency and it's about going through life and getting actual actionable tools to change your life and be a better person and do these things. So, you know, the podcast is where my heart lies, the speaking, the coaching. I'm just doing a million things and I'm just trying to do them all well. And that's really ultimately what I'm trying to do is I want people to understand what our community goes through mm. so that we can stop the suicides. We can get people the support they need and we don't have to have the number growing from 44, for God's sakes. It shouldn't have grown from 22. It should never have been 22 in the first place. Mm -hmm. So my mission is really simple. I want to keep my people alive and I'll do a million different things to get there. Perfect. Yeah, man. I can think of a better way to end it. Is there anything, any final thoughts? Come follow us on YouTube. Come follow us. Come grab the book. You can grab it at brassandunity.com. Comes with a buddy check pack. If you don't want to get it there, go to Amazon. That's fine with me. I don't care. Um, follow the podcast, support it, support what we do, the people we support and, and organizations. The, yeah. That's pretty much it, man. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just here for life. I'm just here. Just That's here it. for life. That's it. Well, thank you for being a part of this. Appreciate it. And thank you to everyone for listening to this episode of the After Action Podcast. Later. Yes.